Well, here we go. Podcast Wayne Gretzky, number 99. The great one. <laughs> Let's see if it will be a great one. I'm hoping so. Our guest today is uh, one of the greatest uh, of bowling, I consider. And uh, obviously he's been named in the top 100 and stuff like that. So it should be interesting, that's for sure. We don't really have a plan tonight, too. I think people have said, do you have a plan? Because I want... Jeff is just going to, anything goes, so we don't know where this is going to go. We're throwing out the, the window. And... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just have at it. I love it. Uh, Carrie, what are our nicknames this week? Yeah, so uh, great call. Uh, it was brought to my attention that uh, I didn't come up with any nicknames to start off this podcast, and that is very true. So uh, we'll go with Dexter Salmon T-Shirt Wiseman. <laughs> He did have two days off too. He had two days off. Yeah, that's true. I did nothing. I would. I got cupcake earphones, Bradley. (laughs) Call me cupcake. (laughs) Call me cupcake tonight. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Oh, cupcake. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No, I don't. Don't have any off the top of my head. So uh, that sucks. I'll have to make up some good ones for the one hundred. Yeah. Maybe oh, maybe, we, Carrie, maybe we can get people too excited. Yeah, <laughs> Carrie Car- <laughs> too excited for one hundred crates. Yeah, yeah, true enough. And Tim, boring as usual, Wiseman. <laughs> I am pretty boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, enough, enough bashing. Uh, so yeah, so you guys excited for this podcast? I am. Yeah, I've been excited to have Jeff on when we started talking a little bit and. Uh, Jeff has a lot of stories, and he has a he can definitely has a different mindset to bowling than a lot of us have. So it'd be interesting to kind of open up, up open up that topic a little bit. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of those guys that's like you know pure enthusiasm and excitement, and uh, um, yeah, <laughs> he's he he he's a he's one of our favorites. He's definitely one of the most interesting people we've met, and uh, really looking forward to hearing his take on stuff. Yeah, he's got a long bio too, right? I mean, we're dating back, you know, four or five decades ago that he's been playing for a long time. So there's lots of history there, um, you know, played into various tournaments and had a lot of success. Definitely be interesting to learn some of those skills and some of those uh, things that he's had some success over the years. So it's going to be fun for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so we are going to try something new this week. We've got a new giveaway idea. Um, that way, hopefully, Dexter won't have to keep track of all your names. So in order to enter this draw, you have to enter a comment in the chat with the hashtag AllStarDraw. And you have to include the hashtag, and everything is lowercase. And you'll be entered into the draw, hopefully. We'll uh, see how it goes. Um, and then you'll be entered into the draw to receive a $50 gift card from All-Star Bowling Sales to shop on their online store. And then once again, we want to thank uh, all our patron members for helping us out. Um, for as little as $2 a month, you help support this podcast and bring it to you every Wednesday. This has been uh, ongoing weekly for quite a while, which I'm absolutely amazed at. I think, okay. uh, yeah, I think before uh, Daryl came on and even the last few while Adam was still on, we were kind of hit or miss. I think, well, because bowling was still going, we had the challenges and other weekly stuff going on. So that ate into our free time. 
But as we all know, the wise men have lots of free time now. So endless, I just got endless a, I just time. got a picture. I just got a picture of my uh, duck breast with risotto that was, you know, made. We were on a little Zoom call before this, and my wife was making uh, cooking lessons, and so we might get interrupted here, fellas, in a little, little, little duck breast coming up. So all I hear yeah. is breast. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. We got Jeff Bourne on, so I have to do a whole tonight. I can sit back and sip on a drink and. Uh, yeah. So, just so you know, the the draw is working. We have 12 entries already, and you can't double enter. It won't count you, unless, I guess, if you have a de- different account. And it works for YouTube and Facebook Live, so feel free to keep it, having that hashtag all-star draw. And it looks like maybe 5-Pin Universe was entered in twice, so maybe we'll win something. About time. <laughs> Bonus. Yeah, that's because... I put in that comment saying you must include it. Nice. <laughs> well, that if we get a draw, we'll run it again. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Curtis. That's funny. Okay, so I'm not going to keep track of names then. It's working. No. I'm out. It's okay. working just fine. Um, Dex and Tim, do we get a TikTok for the 100th show next week? Something. Yeah, I feel like you guys are slacking a little bit in the TikTok. Yeah, where's your media videos? lately, boys? Do you know, honestly, yeah. we have a bunch of TikToks sitting there to be loaded. Um, Dexter just hasn't loaded them. It, it's because okay. he's not part of it, right? So that's how it works, right? So, <laughs> okay, okay. Hold on two seconds. First of all, we do still have some that also include me. Um, you're not exactly all that great at the trick shots, Tim. Second These of all, actually work. I had yeah. an 11 and a half minute video of gold that I gave Carrie months ago that has never been put on YouTube. So... There sounds like a whole lot of blaming going on. Tim deflected it off the... Before people I, I, start throwing I, stones. Yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah. Hey, I didn't you throw know what? I, I can make whatever TikTok video you want. I can do whatever bowling, non-bowling related, whatever I you think, want. I think the fans want to see you do some five-minute five yoga, Tim. I can do yoga. Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah. 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 Does I that do mean yoga. I have to film that? <laughs> I, <laughs> no, you got a tripod. Walk away from that. Wow, how did you know? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Five pin after dark. Uh, this is getting off the rails even before our guest gets on. That's not good. I think this could be a record number of people watching, though. We've already got like 87 comments. In there. They're just sitting there waiting. When are you going to bring Jeff on? Bring him on. Bring him on. Let's go. We're like, no. We've got to hit the 10-minute mark, right? Like, pre-game banter. <laughs> I love it. Oh, perfect. Um... Yeah, I don't know. There's not too much going on in sports right now, so not much to talk about. Well, I guess Roy McRoy or McRoy wow. uh, finally won again at Quail Hollow. Yes, yeah, so that's Big the biggest win. thing going on. The Oilers like, oh. locked up their uh, their match up against uh, the. Nobody Jets really cares about the Oilers. Yeah, but well, Carrie, as you jump over that, McDavid got a hundred points. Like, what is <laughs> yeah. that? There's not we not do. much going on in sports. <laughs> yeah, only the yeah. McDavid lighting it up and getting a hundred points. I, I am amazed at the conversation that they're saying that uh, Austin Matthews versus McDavid has a potential for the heart. Like yeah, it's, he, it's just ridiculous. I mean, Matt, obviously the media Matthews guys have to say something. Dreisaitl should be in that comment. Yeah, 40-some four, yeah. 40, goals and 63 points. I mean, like, let's just, just keep shooting the puck at him. Um, there we I, go. Robert, the Jays are tied in the eighth. That's the most recent thing. That's perfect. No, no we, like do have to, we do have to bring up that, you know, Brett Hendrickson did a great job at the uh, – Manitoba Masters drop-in event. Um, even though we give Manitoba a hard time, 
There you go. That looks really good, Daryl. Um, <laughs> probably ordered in from Earl's, but uh, <laughs> but they did a great job down in Manitoba. Uh, so big congr- congratulations to all the winners out there. So, so do we know who won the event, Tim? Yeah. Since you're well, bringing actually, it? actually, uh, uh, Robbie won both sides. So oh, nice. Robbie, Robbie. Kilt, uh, Hendrickson. Robbie oh, killed nice. both sides. That's awesome. And I know Tim, Tim Hooper uh, cashed in a little bit there. I know Sweet. Derek Oren did. Derek Oren, yeah. And uh, I honestly really haven't really looked at the rest of them. I, I'm not going to lie to you, but I know there was some great bowling. And uh, thanks for supporting the local centers. So. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely awesome. How many entries did they end up getting for that? No idea. It's, you know what? I'm sure... I, I, uh, sure Alberta wasn't Alberta wasn't allowed to be included. Yeah. I asked, so I kind of gave up after that. I'm not oh, that's pretty ask. cool, though. I mean, good for obviously. Really it was awesome. Know, I'm not sure where they got that idea, but it's really cool of them to be able to <laughs> do uh, successfully complete the event right in Manitoba. Yeah. I mean, other provinces, other ideas, it, it can be done. So, yeah. and on. Seth is back on the lanes after his so- shoulder surgery. One fifty-eight. He's right on average. Perfect. Yeah, he's gotten better. That's awesome. That's. <laughs> <laughs> shoulder surgery really worked out for you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. All right. So it's ten thirty. Bring on Jeff. Yeah, yeah let's go. <laughs> Jeff time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna run obviously All Star Bowling commercials. Uh, uh, wow. All Star <laughs> Bowling sales commercial right now. Um, cow, once again, cow, if you want to be, <laughs> if you want to be entered in the draw, hashtag All Star Draw in the comments, and you'll be added to the draw. Well, our guest for the 99th podcast is Mr. Jeff Bourne. We are sorry for that intro. That may have been the worst one we've ever done. We hope you carry this podcast through. Well, I just want to comment about Rory going to Brad Faxon for putting lessons. And apparently he was like 46 out of 46 inside six feet. Um, so, and that's how you win, right? Putt for dope. But what's it, he, he didn't make any practice strokes on any of the greens, right? Like he would just get up and line it up and then shoot. That's what I do. I trust myself. <laughs> That's I why of, I three putt a lot. Like Snedeker is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a brush putter, you know, kind of thing, and I just give it a few brushes and then give it a whack. So, I'd ha- I have to sit there, line it up, practice, look, do this like 44 times before I actually go. Well, I'm I, slower. I, I'm slower putting at bowling or at, at putting in golf than I am bowling for sure. Yeah. Anyways, I digress. Yes, <laughs> it's a bowling show, not a golf show. Yeah. Well, we got to talk about something else. Bowling ain't happening, so. <laughs> it is in Manitoba. That's uh, fair enough, fair enough. Well, I'll tell you where they got the idea. Chad Van Dale actually, when they first came back off the summer, the first layoff, ran that kind of tournament, just an open six, eight-week tournament, enter, your score is carried over. So it was uh, originally came up with by Chad Van Dale. Hmm. Perfect. Credit, credit, get it. It sounds like it ran really well, so I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you guys were able to put something together like that. And uh, kudos for everybody that was involved. Did you play in it, Jeff? I played a couple of times. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was having trouble getting to the lanes, but then unfortunately, of course, Norm Shran has passed, and I just knew I had to go bowling that day for Norm. And, uh, that's off off the street, a nice 806. So, not a good enough score to win, but uh, always a good score. Okay, so yeah. it's just it's just three games. Yeah, it apparently yeah. had a scratch and a handicap side. Correct. Yeah. Nice. That, that's You'd have to enter both like... though. It's ten bucks each, so I just I didn't play the handicap. Oh, gotcha. Right. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Is Ooh. bowling alleys open now in everything is shut down in, in just closed again last week. Oh, okay. Um, we, uh, we were going on Tuesday nights to try to make up some more weeks for the season. Um, but that's over. And so actually our Thursday night league, our money league in that league, in that bowling alley, um, many of the uh, teams have opted to uh, give our residual prize money to Chad to help tide him over and uh, hopefully they open his doors again. I mean, good Lord. We, we used to be a, a, a city with tons of bowling alleys, but we're going to find out in September if we are. Yeah, no doubt. Hmm. And, and you guys were shut down for quite a while before you opened here lately, were you not? Yes, we, uh, end of October, um, we were open for four weeks maybe and closed again. So it's, it's been just horrible. Yeah. I think I saw Saskatchewan actually had a rollout plan that was opening bowling centers at the end of May. So they actually put it in plan. Like this is when specifically bowling centers will look to be open. Yeah. As long as they hit their, their goal or whatever their mark is. Yeah. Nice to see that they actually have a date or, you know, specific saying you're being recognized that you're going to be open, right? I don't think Alberta, you're definitely yeah. not in that mix. You're just, you're, you're not even, you're lumped into no, well, nothing at all. They actually did, they actually did specifically list us in step three this time. Right. right. What right. step yeah, three is a, is a random percentage that who decides that what that percentage is. <laughs> well, well, yeah, step three is like before the percentages, I think, I think, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Now it's a combination of both of them. And I, right. you need to know like calculus and able to, and able to figure out exactly <laughs> where it sits. Differentiation. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I see here, Johnny Moen saying that it has to hit 70% vaccination rate. So, that everybody's taking that way of vaccinations, right? So go get them. I know it's, some people have different opinions. It's all about that to be open now. So if we have 32% people not, then we're not going to be open. So anyways, that's my yeah. feelings yeah. on that. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, are you working these days? I know you had said, uh, or retired, or what are you doing keeping well, yourself retired, busy then? retired from my city job, but I work uh, seasonally for uh, Canada Revenue Agency from February till uh, beginning of June pushing uh, tax forms around. Um, amazingly, so many people still do them on paper. And uh, I'm in what's called error inspection. So if you put something in the wrong field or uh, write down a wrong value, I can fix that so they can send you the right assessment. Right. Right. Well, so thank I went you from a one government job to another government job. So yeah. when I get out of this one, I'm going to go work for the province and get the trifecta. So. Yeah. Don't you, you're probably just banging your head against the wall too. Sometimes people making mistakes on their forms. Like, come on, person. Like, there's really? there's there's some cussing involved sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, on both ends, on both ends. So sure. so it'll be golf as soon as that uh, work is done. I know we're, we're hopefully yeah, golf courses wait. golf courses are open oh, in Manitoba. They are. Yeah, it's uh, almost unregulated compared to everything else. So. I can't wait. I'm going tomorrow at five. So nice. Get out there and play. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful here right now. It's twenty-three degrees, so it's perfect weather. Nice. No bugs yet. Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Well, uh, I know the Winnipeg area. It really isn't a dry area, but here in Alberta, it's been super dry. We finally got some rain the last couple of days. Is it kind of the same thing in Manitoba, or is it it's pretty seasonal awful. weather? It was a a dry fall. One of the driest winters on record, and uh, we've had rain maybe 
two days in the last 30. So I'm out there watering my evergreens, trying to make them stay green. Wow. Hmm. That's insane. Well, and the thing is, I'm in a newer neighborhood, so the trees are not so mature. So I don't have to worry about them busting through the foundations of my house. But in in the older neighborhoods with the really mature 100-year-old trees, like, they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. These big trees, yeah, for sure, getting underneath ground. We got a few we had to cut down too this year. Hmm. Right, fifty-year-old trees, just the roots and the stumps coming coming through. Like, be careful before you start going into foundation and into decks and pulling up and things not level anymore. Mm-hmm. Anyway, should we chat some bowling here, team? Yeah, sure, sure. All right. We always uh, we always start off back, you know, when you first started throwing some balls between your legs. And where did that start for you, Jeff? When did uh, when did you get introduced into the game of five pin bowling? Well, my parents both bowled on Friday nights at Village Inn Lanes, um, and I was bowling YBC at Village Inn Lanes. And what made it interesting was the Village Inn Lanes at the day was the host of the big money tournament. So my parents would keep score on the Saturday and Sunday for the event. And at that time, they actually stayed in the hotel, which was attached to the bowling alley. So it was a fantastic couple of days running around like a maniac. And I watched some really fantastic bowlers um, to sort of get me interested in bowling that way. Uh, Of course, I went to YBC when I got in there as soon as I could. uh, It was uh, the stepping stone for sure. Where now is that bowling alley still open? It is. It's called Village in West. It's part of the Uptown Bowling Alley family. Um, the previous owner, before the Britons took it over, had actually converted half of the lanes to 10-pin. So it's 8 lanes 5, 8 lanes 10, and it's a very far west end of the city. And how many bowling alleys are there in Winnipeg now? Whew. Well, let's see. Let's, uh, <laughs> Village in St. James Polo Park, those are all within five miles of each other. Uh, Rossmere and Roxy, they're within two miles of each other. Um, Windsor's closed now, but it was within two miles of uh, Coronation. Coronation's about four miles from Dakota. The St. Vitale's closed now, so Gary Lane's is closed now. Mosienko is the only one on Main Street. So we, re- we were able to run our Unicity Men's League with eight bowling alleys and have some bowling alleys to spare. So. Hmm. So you were talking miles in between. How do you know this? Did you step them off? Like, where where'd this come from? Oh well, my my job as the strikes. as an assessor was to put houses in the tax roll or process permits. So uh, I know the city like the back of my hand. Perfect. That makes a lot of sense. That's way better yeah. than stepping it off. <laughs> so when you're That's asking, like, though. hey, how far away is this? Oh, it's about seven miles. Not 15 minutes or 20 minutes, uh, about seven miles. Well, some people yeah. like landmarks, well, you know, when you're giving directions as opposed to distances. So yeah. turn turn by the Boston Pizza or yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Still not talking bowling. We're doing an amazing job. Yeah, yeah. Really <laughs> but sorry, we're, still, we're still on the youth. We're still on the youth in those days. So um, started playing YBC, um, you know, early days. Did you play in the four steps? What, was there was a Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola challenge then? What, yeah. What sort of competitive was, uh, lane did it, you... It was four steps, and uh, the first time I made the team was uh, in Bantams. I actually qualified. It could have been singles. I passed up on it to be in the team. Uh, we lost in the provincials, and the scores I threw would have made it on as singles, but uh, that's okay. And um, 
we had a very, very big program. We bowled, our senior boys uh, bowled, or senior league bowled uh, Sunday nights. And we had 10 lanes. Um, and we were in a real tough zone. Uh, St. James was the best alley in the zone, so Village Inn didn't win very much. But we did win in 1979 and went to the Nationals in, uh, in BC. And uh, pretty pivotal, actually, in, in some ways, because at one of our practices on a Sunday afternoon, uh, we were on like two and three, and the Masters was bowling uh, on the other side of the bowling alley. And our coach, Alice Eschishin, actually is a life member of Masters now, um, fundraising. And she pointed out, like, I see you bowling in Masters, and they were all in the matching shirts. And I thought, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. So, um, mm-hmm. And that particular year, Don Van Dale won three out of the four tournaments. And it's funny, the one game I watched him bowl, that last game was a buck fifty to fall out of the stepladder. He could have won all four tournaments. Um, but we went to the Nationals, and I had a, a huge fight with my coach at the Nationals. In fact, it started at the Provincials because we, we, we finished first before the uh, two teams that were ahead of us, and we bowled like a 1,002, and our coach ran us up and down each side. Oh, you bowled so bad, bad, you lost it, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out those two teams won like 900, 840. So we ended up winning the trip. So she had to eat her words there. <laughs> then a fight with her at the Nationals, so I said, that's it. I'm not going back to this bowling alley. And my dad bowled Sunday mornings with Tom Woodward, brother to Joan Shannis, brother-in-law to Norm Shannis. And Tom coached at Windsor. Tom lived less than a mile from me, so I could get a ride. So off I go to Windsor, and I make the most important connection of my whole life, Norm Shannis. A, because I believed everything he said, because he's one of the greatest bowlers of all time. B, because when my season ended in, after that, that year, because that, at that time, YBC ended for seniors in grade 12, um, he needed a couple of players to bowl in the major men's league, like the legend, <coughs> the legend, legendary league. I think so that I got the bowl. I got the bowl when I in it. <coughs> and he picked up another guy from his Wednesday night league, just bowling in a mixed league. Steve Stasiuk. Oh Steve. Oh, okay. Yes. 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 Stevie That's played awesome. nationals with Stevie Stasiak in two thousand four. Yeah. yeah. Well yeah. great beauty player. of a guy. Love Stevie. Yeah, he's, uh, I'm going to say, great player. Not just good, but great. And I don't mm-hmm. throw the word great around very much. I, I think that word's thrown around way too easy, talking about people. Very good, fantastic, superb, dynamite, excellent, whatever you want. But great is a different word. And, but I'm going to throw that to Steve. He was tough as nails. And uh, so we won the city championship. We won the league championship. We had a dominant team. Because not only did we have Norm Shannon in the team, we had Keith Barber. And... Uh, He's one of the two guys that would give up my name to the top 100 list because he was voted the greatest Western Canadian bowler ever. And he's not even on the top 100 list. Like, it's ridiculous. And the other guy I would give it up for is John Matthews. I learned so much from John Matthews. Um, so, you know, and I'm sure anybody that's on the list can find somebody that they could give up their spot for because we're this sport's all about mentoring right yeah. we don't figure this stuff out for ourselves like somebody tells us so yeah. so anyway i go to i go to windsor lanes i end up in the big league it's fantastic um but when i won the high school championships that year it was called the pepsi cola tournament in 1980 my coach was doug wood <laughs> he's bowling friday nights as well and we lived in charleswood and 
this was at Mozienko on the other side of town, and I didn't necessarily have a car all the time, so I was getting rides with him because he lived between me and Tom. That's how close <laughs> we all lived together, like twists of fate. And he yeah. told me all the stuff from Bobby King and the legends, one ball at a time, strike, spare, 15, strike, spare, 15. And I, Tom Patterson asked me about a bowler once upon a time. I said, hey, great first ball, third ball, not so good. <laughs> I mean, it's a three-ball game, like it or not, right? <laughs> yeah, great point. In fact, I made my fortune ultimately with my third ball when it's all said and done. So, But I digress. <laughs> Talking about the kids again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we uh, we won the high school championship, and it was a telephone event at that time, and we had to go to Brandon to bowl. And uh, us five kids uh, shot 4,800 for the four of us, um, which is a pretty good score for mixed. That's the kind of score that could even win a gold medal at the C5 Nationals these days, 1,200 a game. So that's hmm. what I wanted to touch on w- with that. Was there bowling. Was there a... Uh... So the Pepsis was just a phone in. So one team from every province would play and then phone it in. Um, men's, ladies, mixed, three teams. Okay. And so it, it became a function of like where you're bowling. I, I, I suspect you know easier bowling alleys probably won more often than tougher bowling alleys. And it's funny we bowled actually in Brandon, which traditionally has not been an easy bowling alley. But we had Jackie uh, Monchak slash, slash Sukolowski in the team who was unbelievably good bowler so that didn't hurt and uh i shot uh, I, th- I shot 330 first game and then my buddy andy shot 980 his next three so 1300 out of that 4800 was from four games so that doesn't hurt no. that's a that's a big well, help whatever happened to that pepsi you know high school challenge did it just sort of fizzle away or did it convert into a different tournament i think it died and then it was reborn um the existing high school championship they had or the uh, youth challenge was a, is a whole new creature. Um, right. it, it just falls down to sponsorship going sure, away from bowling. I mean, the first time I made the Masters Nationals in, 80, in 86, there's a 40-pounder of everyone's on everyone's bed of rye from Hiram Walker. Like, <laughs> Welcome money, to the tournament. Money was to be had, yeah. yeah. Wow. Definitely want to get transition to the uh, Masters. Good, good try there, Jeff. But um, the la- the last thing on the youth um, was in '83 Canada Winter Games. Tell us about that. That was yeah. in Quebec. Was that a uh, a travel to Quebec to play that Canada Winter Games? Obviously, yeah, because it was in all sports. In, it was in Chicoutimi of all places, and we, we were camping in a high school. Uh, we were all given sleeping bags. We slept on cots. Um, every province qualified differently. Ontario had a, a bowling school and they chose their teams and apparently the guy that had the highest average didn't even make the team. Um, but they sort of split it into two sides of the draw because there's so many teams. But they didn't flip the floors. Like they built some brand new alleys upstairs in a, in a gymnasium or an armory. And those scored high. Like Bobby Osborne's first day was like 1620 for five. And uh, the basement didn't score as high. and We were stuck down there all the time. But uh, there were some great bowlers there. I, I can't believe I don't have this list in front of me, but uh, Alberta had Mortar and Gigliac, so not a bad start there. I think uh, Greensides and Mike Bates were on the uh, mm-hmm. the uh, Ontario wow. team. It was, uh, it was pretty deep. Uh, one of our guys that snuck in was a 15-year-old kid from uh, the home alley. Uh, it was a tough alley, and he, uh, he bowled out of his head. Um, and that's the first time I ever saw Bob Greider, and I'd, I'd never seen anyone throw harder at that time. 
Um, it's the first time I saw a guy string pins. It was uh, he was unbelievable, and he went on to have a pretty good career. He never got a singles title, but he he came out of Manitoba as a singles six, eight times, something like that. He was a hell of a player. Hmm. Fun. Well, so anyway, it was in Chicoutimi, Quebec. We stayed in the gym, and uh, um, and it's the only time it's been in on the on the menu. It's, it's so I guess we're sort of lucky to go. Everybody who's uh, done the 83 Canada Winter Games said they loved the experience. Speaking yeah. with uh, Mike Bates and Bruce Mortar and, and all those guys, they said they just absolutely loved the experience from it. Well, here's here's the twist of it all. Is, is that since we were 18, yes, there was a bar on base. So we went after every day to the, to the lounge <laughs> yeah. to eat and party. So we had a great time. Um, even more so than some of the other people, I suspect. We played cards in the hallway till like two in the morning. To, oops, wait a second. We're getting into the, the blue show again. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. That one's fine. Yeah. But that's, it'd be cool to see that uh, roster of all the teams. I'm sure we've seen it again, but maybe Tim can find it somewhere. And I, I do have it. Cycle yeah, I can through send it to you if you want. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Who, who won the 83? Who won the gold medal? I think Ontario won. Um, but uh, you know, if if I do get a moment, I can run downstairs. I know where it is. I just had it up the other day, so I could let you know for sure. We got Tim on the job, Jeff. Yeah. Don't worry. You sit back. You tell us stories. We we'll set let, Tim we'll up, and he's got out. the research. Yeah, he's the research <laughs> guy. Yeah, yeah set I, him up. Ontario, yeah. Ontario did win both. Yeah. Yeah. I have it here. Man, they just... Good job, Tim. That was pretty quick timing too. <laughs> it's, it's all in folders, ready to go. I have that. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, let's switch over to the Masters. I know that's a huge topic for you. Um, you've played there a few times. Tim's got some stats to, to list off that were pretty incredible. Yeah, so, I mean, first year you were in 86, right? So uh, 24 times you represented Manitoba Masters, 16 times on the team, seven times as a single, one time as a coach. Uh, incredible 40-time provincial tournament wins. So 34 as a tournament in Division six on the seniors four national time national champion um incredible um do you what, what i guess what are your favorite moments from it um what are your maybe some favorite teams uh like what like you have anything to share like that well our first team that won in 2007 was uh actually our 2011 team as well you almost couldn't handpick a better team 2007 it was uh here's our here's our lineup shannis me west Payne. Glenn Howarth and Scott Barber. So yeah. you, you you really couldn't go much better than that. And then we won in 2011. It was uh, Jim Llewellyn, and I played the two-hole. Then uh, Chad Van Dale, Randy Morissette, and Scott Barber again. Um, so, and that year, Brad Rusnak was singles. And, not, and in terms of the and Brad just snuck out Scott in 2011 for singles by five. And it's funny because we're having drinks afterwards rejoicing and how our team turned out to be so good and scott's going oh i don't even know if i want to bowl you know because he missed singles he's all sad and we're going you're going to feel better tomorrow when you look at the team like because you can't you can't understate or overstate how important it is to have team chemistry i mean um you don't have to be best friends but you got to get along you know and uh i know that the uh men's team in 2014 that were no 2013 that was in alberta had a, had, a, had a misfortune in that they went to buy 50-50 tickets 
and Brad Resnack goes, oh, no, you can share mine, mine and my wife's. And, of course, they win. But he didn't tell his wife we're sharing the money with the team. So that was the first day, and all of a sudden there's bad blood. And it, it, it sort of reflected into their play the rest of the way. I mean, it's an accidental thing that just somehow hurts you, eh? But uh, no, those two teams are good. The team that won in 2016, uh, Randy Morissette, Brandon Mansell, um, Kyle Young, mm -hmm. Cordell Galbecca, and myself. Definitely the dark horse team. No one saw it coming at all. Um, but uh, they're drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, you know, as I got older and I kept playing good, they started to believe what I was saying a bit more. Because... Um, <laughs> I mean, the team in 2011 that won, it would be, it would look like we were having coffee for like seven or eight frames. We were just sitting back and biding our time and then turning it on at the end because it's like bowling's like baseball. You can't win it in the beginning of the game. You can't, you can't get far enough ahead that I mean, you need closers. So you, you better be pretty far ahead if you're going to hack up the end of the game. I mean, in 2017 or 2015, when I had my, my 1701 for five in the fourth game we were bowling alberta and i had the front eight and uh in the ninth frame i'm blowing anchor right all four guys in front of me open <laughs> so so i miss a cutoff spare all of a sudden we're all open alberta gets a check frame they get a check frame in the tenth and they, and they get us and you know like one, one of my anthems as a coach that i say to my team is that and this is whether you're an adult or a kid is in the first frame you got to have 75. i don't care if it's five headpin 15s or five marks Someone's got to have a double going home, and someone's got to strike out. And that's just to fight off the other team. That's not even to, like, get ahead of them. That's because somebody on their team is going to do that stuff. So in that situation, we did not do that. So we got run over. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other side of that, the last year ever at the Nationals, you guys were bowling, Alberta's bowling next to us. We had a 10th frame, Manitoba. We had 218 out of 25. 45, 35, 45, 43, 45 in the tenth. Huge. So, and and the thing is, we were bowling BC for third spot, and they were pretty far ahead of us, but they weren't anymore. So, <laughs> that, that was I'd, I'd never seen anything like it before. Like as a player or even watching, it was really pretty cool. That that was in Gatineau, I believe, right? I think it was. Guys, yeah, I think you guys were on one and two. I think so. I remember we were right beside right beside you guys. I remember talking to you about Tim going. I can't believe this. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, yeah. And for yeah. me, I was so lost because there was so much humidity and I had been bowling so bad and I threw some balls in the screen at a nick that uh, I had to go to like my, my retirement ball. I couldn't even throw my real ball. I'd go to my one-stepper <laughs> just to bunt it out in the lane because I had no confidence in my real shot at all. And, and it worked out pretty good. So it's, it's, if it should fall, then I never go to the Nationals again, God forbid. The idea that I had to throw the uh, Bob Gaylor for three games is, uh, was pretty funny. I don't know if you guys knew who Bob Gaylor is. Yes. He's, yeah. yeah. And who Bob Gaylor I've heard of Bob Gaylor, so yes, I know who that is, yes. Yes, yeah, Steve Stacey ran him once at the Nationals. Here. Sorry. No, that's okay. So that, that that's a good adjustment to have in your back pocket when you need it, though. Because there are situations where, yeah, like, and we've seen it in Quebec a few times where, like, you know, humidity and, you know, we're playing in the summer for nationals and those approaches get really, really tough. It, that's It's a really good adjustment to have in your back pocket if you're confident with it, for sure. 
Well, I warm up with it all the time, and, and the basis of it is, it's it's like your golf swing. All, all your, I mean, your go- every golf swing has from here to here, right? And that's what my one stepper is. It's just my my from my power stroke on without all the approach speed. And I started doing it just to get the ball off the end of my hand when I warmed up, because people go and start throwing balls at the head pin. They're not even warmed up. I mean, as a baseball pitcher, Kerry, you'd know. You're not going to go out there and throw your slider on your third ball. You're, you're still lobbing it around a few times. And yet guys are judging the lanes and judging the conditions, and they're not even warmed up. So, Yeah. yeah. I, I do one step every once in a while if I'm really lost. But I, I, I learned how to do it through lawn bowling. We started a lawn bowl for years with uh, Lynn and Bruce, and um, – that really, it really creates timing for the one step, and uh, I don't know if you knew George Shillabier. Oh yeah. Um, but he was he was a phenomenal lawn bowler too, and yeah, so that's kind of where I started learning how to do one step, and it, it's it's good to have every once in a while. Yeah. When I when I busted my ankle, it was something I went to. You know, I couldn't I couldn't slide at all. I couldn't walk, so I just took one step and threw. It's I having watched, to train uh, the body, the momentum, and kind of get your body going, and that okay, then you then you move. Yeah. Exactly. You step at the end. I watched Shillabier beat, uh, one of the few times I went to Edmonton, he beat Roy Cunningham in the final. And uh, I can do it too. He would lean back like this and put the ball here in his sternum on his big belly yeah. and just sit there and rest. And now I can do it too. But uh, <laughs> yeah. that was some of the greatest right, bowling ever. Did. That was some of the greatest bowling I ever saw because Cunningham in the qualifying had like open with a 401 and threw a 450 in the fourth game and then ended up in the tournament final. Like, um, unbelievable bowler. Really what tournament time. would that have been? At the Rose Bowl. In the Rose Bowl. Rose Bowl, yeah. 90-something around there? Uh, probably early 90s, yeah. I didn't go there too often because <laughs> it, it was a bad time of year. <laughs> and talk about a hotbed of maniac bowlers. Holy smokes. And plus, the bowling alley was such a high-scoring bowling alley. Um, when we're coming from the low-scoring bowling alleys we have, you're sort of outgunned. Like, we in our leagues, we had a seven-in-a-row pot. And it would carry over sometimes. Like, how many times and you know, at... at Bonnie Dune does someone not throw a seven bagger in the first game? Yeah, you know who who won yeah. that tournament? It was, it was ninety one, I think. George Shillabier. Yeah, George George won, George won in ninety one. Yeah, ninety one. Yeah. Um, George, George never changed until the day he died either. He's a because great guy. Exactly I bowled with him in league one year. My brother and I and George at Skona Lanes down in White Ave. Great yeah. place. He's yeah. a awesome he's dude. a character. I, I we had a a pro challenge. Uh, KJ yes. and uh, and uh, and Daryl was there, I believe, and Dexter was, and I'm hearing Johnny. his beep and Johnny, and I was I'm hearing his beeping, and I thought it was a a foul line. I'm like, what's going on? Is the foul line not working? No, it was his oxygen tank. And I was like, George, <laughs> like, what's going on? And he's like, D- he just f bombed me. He's like, get back there. And he's like, just beeping the whole time. <laughs> it was his oxygen tank. That's <laughs> just George. So, yeah. Yeah. But you know, yeah. even when he was, you know, out of bowling and retired and whatever, and he was just focusing on lawn bowling and taking care of the lawn bowling pitches, I guess is I would call him. Um, yeah. He was still super, super involved and interested in everything that was going on in bowling. He'd he'd call me once a month just to find out what's happening in Masters and the Open and stuff around the country. And yeah, he was super invested. He was absolutely awesome, dude. So yeah. that's funny. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you can now tribute to George by putting a ball on your belly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know it's funny because there's a little clip in the news from 2018 when I won. They got Kyle Young, my coach, talking to me here, and I am standing there in the pit like this with the ball, 
on my belly. <laughs> Just trying to trying to get the pulse down and get my heart out of my throat, you know. Yep. So totally. tell us more about that 2018 tournament singles. Um, obviously different playing singles. You did it seven times. And from what I understand, you made the stepladder five times out of those seven playing singles, which is a pretty solid feat. But in 2018, you won uh, the gold. Who did you play in the final of that? And maybe um, walk, us, walk us through the qualifying of the, that as well, Jeff. Well, I played uh, Bradley Titkett in the final. Um, and I didn't realize at the time because um, I didn't look at the stats till later, like him and uh, oh, the guy from BC, Matt Harms, they just lit up the semifinal. Like, uh, uh, I think Brad had 700 for two. So, like, poor Matt only had, like, 620 for two. Poor guy. And as you know, it's out of your hands. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to throw Tim in this because poor Tim only started with 330 against the um, – the kid from Ontario, what's his name? Cody. 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 Yeah. yeah. And so and so he's had three thirty for a win and then he goes three forty, three forty. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Like there's no defense in bowling, right? So I got sort of lucky in the fact that he had ten seventy for three and then he then he only had eighty in the fifth or eighty in the sixth. So I came up in the I, I was I was hacking. I came up in the uh in the sixth and I had the lead even though I had like ninety in the fifth. And I got a double, finally. I moved left, and I just threw it as hard as I could. Stopped trying to play the game, just freewheel. And I got a double, and uh, then I think he had a mark open, and I, I got a corner. And then I ran around like I got a strike, because in that situation, it was, you know. But, I mean, that's something I do, too, though, is that I, 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 when I fantasize about bowling for the big money, I fantasize corner, spare corner. Because all I can do is throw it in the side. I can't get a strike. I can just throw it in the side. So that's what I visualize. If I'm lucky enough to get a strike, that's fine. So what I, one of the things, and that's when I talk about drinking the Kool-Aid with my team there, the one in 2016. I got them to embrace celebrating corners. Because if you need a strike to celebrate, you're going to celebrate four, five times a game. But if you like your corners, eight, nine times a game, you might celebrate if you're having a good game. So... And it sort of can get in the other team's head. Like, why are they celebrating? It wasn't even a strike. But, but I'm celebrating because we're winning. Because, you know, if you got a double and you got a corner, that's 39 on the scoreboard, right? Yeah. So. I think Jeff would be pretty good at what's my score game. I didn't get that. <laughs> didn't hear you, Daryl. Yeah. Oh, I say I think Jeff would be pretty good at the what's my score game. He, that's, he would, he I'm not sure count. if you've watched this, the podcast. We've had a game here, Jeff, of... Uh, what's my score up to what last five frames 135 what do you get if you get triple corner punch right so oh yeah well yeah. if you want to be an anchor bowler you better be able to do the math so yeah <laughs> that's um, what the coach is for so, so that was pretty cool to win the to win the, the masters you know as a single champion that's, yeah, that's sort, of sort of one, of, one of the defining finding here, here it is this is this one is of my, my celebrations at It's not not quite the highest jump I've ever seen, but it's uh, <laughs> yeah. an excited jump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, I was so very sick. Um, yeah. The the Alberta guys, the the men's team brought their babies, and their babies made everyone on the plane sick. So, and it went through Alberta first. Um, but it, and what's funny is that I was super sick in the final, and so was Christine Poxa. 
and I think I got it from slapping her hand, but she accidentally slapped my hand one time. She's going, oh, no, I shouldn't have done it. And uh, we, I got back after the making the singles. Like, my last day, I went seven wins. So that's how I got first place. That was pretty exciting. Uh, when I played Titkit that last day, he actually got on me early, four bagger, but then he went five hole, five. So, you know, four spares and a strike catches up to uh, 150 in the fifth, right? Um, I got the strike in the 10th. He didn't. And then I, it's a sixth game. I had a hack game against uh, Johnstone from uh, Newfoundland. And it was coming down to last balls. We're both looking at five, and he's throwing first. I'm going, if he gets five, I got to get five to win, but got a deuce. So I just got to throw it in the middle. And then my last game against uh, the fellow from Southern Ontario, his name escapes me for the moment. Um, I went uh, corners for a double, 12 count double, miss spare double, corners spare, corner spare for 328. Just to prove my point again, it ain't about strikes. It's about <laughs> running marks, right? You know, I didn't even have a three bagger at 328. So, um, so that was good. And when I got to the hotel, the men's team had just sit in they were sitting first they're doing real well and like we're gonna go to the hot tub we're gonna go to the hot tub i says no we're gonna go get a steak we're gonna get some vegetables we're gonna like get ready to bowl tomorrow so we had a great time at the restaurant get back to the hotel i'm gonna lie down phone my wife 10 minutes later i'm in my pants my jacket my hat wrapped up in the blanket like this shivering and Karen Armstrong said, I heard what was going on in the bathroom there. I went, well, that poor guy. And then I found out it was you. So I didn't sleep that night. My fever broke, luckily, around 3 in the morning. Um, I mean, and so you got Brad Titkett, bundle of energy, right? Celebrates yeah. every shot as much as anybody. And I'm, I'm drinking Gatorades. I'm drinking water. I'm sitting like this. Oh, my God. I'm going to the bathroom every 10 minutes to, like, have a shower in the bath, trying to survive. So... One of the reasons I celebrated like that is because I'd done no celebrating to speak of at all because I, I needed to save my energy. So, yeah. uh, But I've, I've always been the uh, one of the fellows from Quebec. Jesus, they've called me a firecracker because my son would have been a YBC in 2016 there, and he's like, oh, your son, he's a firecracker, just like you. And, and you guys <laughs> saw Ryan because Ryan was crossing with the Manitoba. He's on the, the teaching team, and... Uh, he is a firecracker and, and he's an example of the guy kind of guy I feel most sorry for like an up and comer him and Derek Orm you know guys that really could do it all like they could win it all but they may not get the chance because it won't be there I mean and to get off the topic of bowling like what professional sports are going to be in 10 years if the kids don't grow up playing them like yeah it's, it's going to be nuts anyway so long story short uh, I managed to throw the, the big shot there. So um, very much, very satisfying. And I was talking to Diane Violini the next day, and she, she understood where I was, how I was feeling because she had the six Masters titles, but singles, but she never had the, the C5 singles title. Eh? So she sort of felt like she had a hole in her uh, resume, you know? And I did feel like in the golfing terms, like best golfer not to win a major kind of thing. So to actually get that off my back in the nick of time was as much satisfying as it was, you know, making me happy. No, for sure. That's uh that's something that obviously not a lot of players win. So um, to see you take down that feat was, uh, was pretty cool. And for everybody sharing those videos and stuff of that, that moment is, is unreal. It, even watching it today, just on this podcast, it gives you chills just knowing that that was the win at all, right? That's pretty cool. And I, I think I don't think that video 
I'm pretty sure the celebration goes on past the end of that video. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm pretty yeah. sure you did another la- yeah. loop around to the foul line, then back out. And <laughs> I, I'm I'm pretty sure that was cut significantly short. But yeah, you yeah. overcame a lot that week, and I remember running into you a few times, and you wandering around the hotel, pretty much dying. But there was there was something that went through that tournament that was just that was just. I mean, we had two guys on our team. Oh, I'm back. Yeah, we had two guys have to go get to pens, and um, I mean, Danny Bear almost died, and Nelson Frank was like on his deathbed, and uh, Christine. Yeah, it was it was a rough weekend, but uh, to overcome all of that and come out on top is uh, that's it just adds to the win. Well, I, I sometimes wonder if uh, getting sick helped me. Yeah. I don't know because you know I've, I I showed up on the last three games to watch the men's team. Um, they couldn't even believe they were seeing me, but you know, I'm a team guy. And, uh, I went back to the hotel to have a nap and, uh, I don't know if I would have been as low key if I hadn't have been sick. I mean, here's some little trivia for you. Neil Young, um, ha- was dying of a fever, 104 when he wrote the, the whole album harvest, like in one night <laughs> when he was absolutely dying. So it, maybe it taps into a different part of your brain when you're, when you're that, that ill, I don't know. Um, Maybe that's an argument for why I've done so good hungover. (laughs) And and that's the irony. Like, I've been tournament director. I'm supposed to enforce the rules. And yet, you know, I'm bowling so bad, I'm going to play hungover the next day on purpose. But that's a blue show thing again. So we'll leave that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We we talked to great lengths here about, obviously, 2007, 11. But what about some of those... You know, later 80s, 90s Masters team, any some of those key highlights and some of what would you learn most from some of the veterans that you would have played with back then, Jeff? Um, hmm. Well, 94, Doug Wood was, uh, let me, the first time I'd just gotten my level two coaching, so he let me coach him in the singles. And, and that field in 94 in Oshawa was unbelievable. Um, I played in a field like that in, two, in 2012 when I was singles in Newfoundland. It was uh, uh, Darren Rich, uh, Matt Schultz, uh, Kevin Clark, myself, Jeff Watts, Bobby Toraville, um, Max Lafreniere, and Lee Escott. Like as deep a field as you can find. And the 94 was like that. And Doug let me coach him. And I was really finding my feet as a coach. I didn't want to screw him up. But uh, it was the first time I was coaching in a singles match at that end. And um, so that was educational. Like Dallas coached us out here in 94. Um, and she's actually one of my coaches in 83 for the junior winter game. She coached the ladies and, uh, touch, we're going to touch on Dallas again later too, if we can. Um, she and, uh, Sandy and Karen and Chris Monchak all went into the, uh, the uh, C5 hall of fame and, they had a nice tribute thing here in Manitoba, but it really didn't touch on Dallas at all and her influence at all. Um, she averaged 279 one year. She was an unbelievable player in the day, and uh, a lot of the things that I embraced, um, I got from her. And and it's some and here's one: you got to stop getting so mad. And you know, telling somebody to stop getting so mad is like telling an alcoholic to stop drinking. <laughs> they have they have to decide that they're, they're going to stop getting mad. So when I finally did decide to stop getting mad, uh, it was like just before 97 when I won when I won Saskatoon. And what's funny is when we were having dinner after it all, uh, I sent a bottle of wine over to all the tables. And Brian Goodhope, 
brings over the bottle of wine because at the time he wasn't drinking and he says he gives me the grandfatherly talking to like you're such a good bowler people are going to look up to you you can't kick racks you got to be a better role model blah 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 and i'd sort of already figured that out but he was entirely not wrong i mean uh, uh the hardest thing about being a good player like we are is is when you're bowling in a league and you're bowling bad people love to watch that he can bowl bad too so if you're going <laughs> to kick a rack you're making them happy yeah beautiful <laughs> keep bowling bad and the pins don't know the pins just see you jumping around. They think they're happy. Well, keep giving them the business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they don't know that you're mad at them. Yeah, they, they, you're, they think you're celebrating. Yeah. We like that. <laughs> but anyway, like the Masters team you're touching on. Um, um, I guess in 97, I got coached by my, uh, my cousin, my cousin, second cousin, Brian. Um, I used to joke that uh, poor Brian was such a straight shooter that uh, I showed up and dragged the family name down. <laughs> but uh, there was a point uh, during the tournament where I'm telling him how I'm thinking because that's something else I want from my players. I don't want to have to go and ask you shit, ask you stuff. I want you to tell me how you feel. Like I want you to keep me in your game. Like I'm more. I got. Well, I have a psychology degree from the University of Winnipeg, so. I want to help you figure out what they need to do. I'm not going to say move over two boards uh, kind of thing. I want you to figure out what you need to do so you're ready to go. Because you don't necessarily embrace what I tell you to do. So anyway, I'm, I'm telling Brian my adjustments. He looks at me and goes, how do you think about all this stuff? Well, I, I, I feel like when I'm bowling, every time you play, it's a new case. And I am Sherlock Holmes. And I'm going to find the clues to the solution at the end. And you give me more games, I got more time to find it, right? So, totally. Hmm. That's yeah. a good way to look at it. Uh, a lot of people don't like making adjustments. <coughs> Tim Wiseman, and uh, <laughs> they die by the sword, right? Uh, yep. Sometimes you gotta make those adjustments and figure it out, or you're just super talented and you don't have to worry about that. But well, you still, sometimes you're gonna throw the ball like it's square. It's just the nature of the beast, eh? And you just got to hope that happens to you in your leagues instead of in tournaments, right? Because yeah. it's going to happen. It's such a good point, though, and just, just keep working at it. Like you said, the longer, the more games you have, the more chance you have at learning and, and figuring out what's wrong. And even if it's even if it's too late in, in that event, you know, you're going down to your last two games and you figure out something then, well, that's something in your pocketbook for next time, too. You know, maybe that's something that'll, that'll work in that center again or, you know, you're in a similar situation somewhere down the line. Now you have another out, you know? Um, there's, it's, it's always worth trying to the end because you never, you never stop learning. Well, it's funny for, for the years I didn't go to Saskatoon because my wife stayed home with the kids and I had a good job, but still, you know, we're running two cars. I couldn't really afford the investment. And there was a money tournament that same weekend in Brandon, just down the road. And I'm double shifting in it. It's like game six of a second shift. And I'm going, I'm playing scratch eight because my average is 265. And it's the first time I decided, I'm just going to go like this. I'm going to lock my arm instead of pushing away. And it threw some good balls. I go out went that Wednesday night, I shoot 13-16 for four. And I've done it every ball since. And I wouldn't have figured it out if I wasn't in a tournament to try it. Because if you try it in a league or in try it, well, when you try it in practice, you're not really committed to it. But I mean, I was trying the tournament and, well, how come you're still trying? Well, 
there's a pot every game to win. Like you spend all this money. I want some money back. Give me some money back. I mean, I said over dinner once in Saskatoon on the Sunday night that I would rather shoot a thousand for four with a three seventy and get paid than shoot four two seventy fives. Like And not I make want the to, cut. Well, no, it's just a league. But yeah, just, right. But but I just know. I just want some I want some money back because and that was one of the articles I wrote actually in the paper talking about the pocket. People want to throw the ball in the pocket. Well, what we need, what you need to do is aim at the middle of the headpin and trust your stuff, right? Because if you try to throw it in the pocket, you're, you're taking away half of the side of the headpin. Like, you, you got to trust your stuff. But you need to get some money in your pocket to go bowling because you got to drive to bowling, you got to pay for bowling. Like, so the pocket works both ways. Yeah. I, I really, I really like that you said that. We have so many people, and and you know what? There's, I guess, there's two different mindsets. I mean, you look at look at Gino, who just is the incredibly accurate, and he lives and dies by being accurate. But I've always been the person that's like, I would rather throw really good rotation, and I'll find a line where like, hey, if I if I put the ball down a little, it might move off the middle and you know hit the right side, or I lob the ball out a little, you might hit the left side. But the big thing is, if you put lots of shit on it. Then you know you hit thick, you're gonna get a strike. You hit thin, you're gonna get a strike. You just can't put it right on the face, and you're just trying to find room for error. And I really think that that is such a huge thing in this game. It's just trying to find out what gives you the biggest strike zone. You know? Agreed. <laughs> or, or corner zone. Or, or corner, corner zone. zone. Yeah. yeah there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna throw my a sports analogy for you here. So here's another way to look at having a corner. And in our sport, the ball weighs the same as each of the pins. So it's five against one. I mean, in 10 pin, the ball weighs 16 pounds. The rack of pins is 35. It's two to one. Like, of course they should get strikes. And there's no rubber. They fly everywhere. Ours pins are fighting to stand. So it's like I'm playing basketball against five guys. So when I leave a corner, hacked in the act, go to the line, <laughs> shoot your foul shots. You can't make all your foul shots, but... It's, it's sort of the same thing, because when the pins are ganged up, they got a defense, eh? But when it's all alone, foul shot, no defense, bang, you should be able to drill those things. At least you made a shot. What's the, what's the a good spare percentage? Like, you know, just like, you know, what's a good free throw percentage, right? 90% or 85%? I don't know what it is in NBA terms of what a good free throw percentage is. Well, Talk in free throw, in basketball right now, it's insane. Um, like, when I grew up in the 80s, um, of course, Shaq couldn't even shoot 50%. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was Hack-a-Shaq. Um, yeah. By the time he retired, uh, Tim Duncan, and he was like a 50% free throw, when he, free throw shooter when he came out of college. He was up to 80%. I think Steve Nash was the first guy to shoot like 90% back-to-back seasons. Uh, but now, all these kids are taught in school to shoot free throws, and like the big men can all shoot free throws now. It's, it's crazy how much better they are now than they used to be 25 years ago. So in five pin bowling, you're saying a good a good corner pin percentage would be what? Well, the thing is, the starting point is four to five, and uh, well, looping back nicely to formative bowling, there came a point when I was pretty young that I realized I had to hit the head pin eighty percent of the time. I had to pick eighty percent of my corners. So once I got hit, the year I first picked eighty percent of my corners, my punch percentage was twenty six. But in pool terms, too many guys get in trouble trying to position their cue ball after trying to pot a ball when they can't even pot a ball. So you need to hit it to get strikes. I mean, the guys with the highest strike percentages 
are guys that only hit it like 66%, right? If you, if you're Palmer getting... Hagen. <laughs> Palmer. Where's Palmer? Who, who is the, sorry, Jeff, who did all the statistics on their bowling shots? Who, who did we have on the podcast that did all that detailed work? Uh, I know when, uh, what was it, the Edmonton five pin, uh, what was that league called? The Pro League. The the Pro league. We did a, a stats package for that. Um, I'll see if I can find it here. You, but continue your talk a little bit, and I'll see if I can find. We, we had a guest on the podcast that really went into depth on their statistics of corner pin percentage, of their head pin percentage, of all those things that they really analytics that they really took a close look at. And I can't remember who it was. I don't want um, somebody, anyways. But so, so Jeff, continue on. You were talking about you know spare percentages well, and those types of things. See, four to five, eighty percent is the start. The thing is, five out of six is only 83. Six out of seven, 85. Seven out of eight, 87. So it's only 7% between 87 and 80. But seven out of eight is a whole world different than four out of five. So at the highest level, the percentages are diminishing, but the, but the actual execution is way higher. So, I mean, it's the same sort of thing. Like, for, for, there was a bunch of years where I'd punch the most head pins in my league, but still leave the least wood. So if you leave only four pins of wood in a game, and given the pins worth two, that's two sticks out of the 50 you're given. So that's 48 out of 50 conversion percentage, that's 96%. So if you leave 10 pins of wood, that's five pins out of 50. Now you're only 90%. So there's my twist in your analytics for you. It's, to my mind, the most important stat is wood because it, it gives you your percentage of execution. That yeah. and attempts. I mean, years when I averaged 250, you look at my attempts, 10.74. Years you average 270, 11.04. And, and like that's more doubles than opens across the season. So, yeah. I think it'd be cool to see some people that collect those stats, you know, this upcoming season a lot more in detail. I think I'm going to definitely take a look at that part of my game a lot more is, you know, the spare percentage, the second ball, the third ball, like you said, Jeff, right? You've had some really good insight here already to, to take away. So, um, well, I, I like so, it. Yeah. One year I did coach. Um, I gave the kids, the guys, a stash factor. And here's my rookie. Here's the team I coached. Here's my three rookies: Kevin Boyko, Randy Morissette, Wes Payne were my rookies. Uh, Glenn Howarth and Scott Barber. So I gave them a stats package, and I and I gave them the miss percentage stat. And only one of them was over 50 percent on their miss spares. And one of the reasons people don't shoot their miss spares as well as they could is because they're making adjustments off their first ball. Well. It was a miss, so it wasn't a good ball. So what are you adjusting for? And I like this one. Wait till you hear this one. When you go to go in your house tonight and you go to put your key in the lock and it doesn't go in, the next time you try to put the key in, you're going, oh, I got to turn my elbow this way or my wrist has got to go this way. I did it too fast. No, you just put the key back in the lock. <laughs> just <laughs> trust yeah. yourself. But yeah. you, you're absolutely right. And I've heard and I've heard this always from YBC and whatever. And some of the best bowlers I know had definitely said this, but hey, you miss, you miss. Not now, you got to try to aim for the other pocket. Why? You made a mistake. You made a mistake. You're gonna make a mistake every once in a while. Why wouldn't you try to throw your normal shot at it again? There, there's a little bit of difference there, though, Dexter. Like like you're saying, your strike shot or your corner shot or whatever, you're not aiming for a pocket. Where when you're shooting for a miss spare your percentage of carry is probably a little bit better. Not saying that's for everybody, but people that play pocket, it is a good, I think it's a good change. 
because you can play different pockets in like me myself i have two different lines for two different pockets and it's proven i've played a lot better when i make my change for my other pocket if i miss spare on the on my suppose like say i'm shooting for the left side pocket and i miss left why the fuck would i throw it there again i'm probably gonna either pull it left because i'm throwing for left pocket and it could be skinny and i leave the corner anyways or i make the jump right and shoot for the right pocket and my ball carry should be better but but you're super confident. It, you've got to be super confident in those two shots. Whereas a lot of players don't have two shots. They have one. No, shot. that that's why I'm saying so, it's two so, different things. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. It's not for everybody. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I think there's two sides to that. It isn't just so cut yeah. and dry. But but that's I'll interesting. Carrie's opinion there. Carrie's sorry, Dex, is that he has two different shots that can play that that frequently. That yeah. Oh, I missed to the left. I better. I'm going to throw my right pocket shot. Uh, me personally, I don't have that. So I know people could say, if, if you miss to the right, then make sure you stay on inside the wood on the on the left side. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm still just trying to throw my strike shot again yeah. to really clean it up or to just throw a better first shot, right? Yeah. I think that that's what Dex, you were saying in the first place is just throw a better first shot. Right, right. And you, you start seeing so many people try to push, try to push it to the other side. And then that's, that's when you start seeing so many people and they say it's the hardest spare. I've heard lots of like, you know, highest level people say it's the hardest bear in the game when they're they're just pushing it at the middle and then they punch it they, they cherry out the head pin almost every time because they're trying to throw the ball the way that they're not used to okay how about this for a little bit of uh comment interaction would you rather go for a miss spare or a corner pin spare let's see what this let's see what so would you rather go for a corner corner spare or a miss spare take the count out of it obviously that's you know we obviously know we'd rather have the corner pin spare for that but from uh feeling comfortable you know i've got this shot I've, i need i need the spare to win what would you rather go for the corner or the miss spare right dex you want answers definitely corner spare. <laughs> I, I i think i think that my corner pin spare percentage is the highest in the country <laughs> okay. Wow, gauntlet. I'm just, I'm just, that's risky. That's I'm just, risky. I'm just out there trolling Jim Head right now. Um, but well, no, honestly, corner spares yeah. and, and besides what, what the, the, the running joke, my corner pin spare percentage when things matter is really, really high. Um, I would take that. And I, obviously, you know, better odds of hitting one pin than three. So, yeah, corner yeah. spare all day. Yeah. Well, the thing is, ultimately, the ball, we throw so hard, the ball hits two pins. So if you're throwing it a full rack of pins, you're trusting some pins to try to help you. And if the pin is there all lonely, again, the foul shot, it's the easiest shot. So, I mean, it's easy to get tapped on your miss spare. So you're depending on some help. Sure, sure. Yeah. Sorry, here's a good comment. Um, so that ball side tap, that is a real thing in five pin bowling because if you throw the ball through the pins right so that that's a good reason why you wouldn't throw pocket side um because you could get tapped and you try and throw for the left side again but um like jeff was kind of saying a lot of people are just throwing to hit the middle and hoping their stuff does the extra work right it works a little bit off center and you don't have to worry about that so i do agree with uh jeff and dexter's point of view i just feel that you don't have to feel that you're in the wrong if you do pocket play that that is I guess my my th- my side of things. I just think playing in the middle of the head pin gives you 
a higher hit percentage. That's yeah. all. So, um, I mean, so Kerry, you're talking about playing pocket play then. So you start the tournament, what's your choice? Left side, right side? Left side. Left side. So, but And so do you make adjustments to go right side sometimes when it's not going your way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of do the same thing, but yeah. I do it by moving my feet. Like, I... Uh, I, I got I throw up the slot as a rule but, so we'll say center dot is my main shot but I can throw from two dots to the right and two dots to the left um, to, and when I throw from two dots to the right well that sort of makes me hit the right side of the head pin and when I right. play two dots to the left that makes me play the left side of the head pin whether I like it or not it's really tough to get it across when you're when you're playing from that side yeah Which so makes Bobby Herman so amazing to me like yeah. he throws that monster hook with 100 miles an hour from the corner and somehow still gets across the head pin for strikes like it's unbelievable yeah yeah, yeah so same thought same thought process I play one dot to the left for left pocket and I play one right to play for the right pocket so yeah it it's same thought process and those are my big changes sometimes I'll change rotation but that doesn't Hasn't happened in a while. Um, can't trust that backup shot as Oof. of the last few years. That's a, that's a bold play. <laughs> <laughs> Used to do it. Don't do it anymore. Not not good enough anymore. Let's um, good chat. Obviously, we'll we'll continue this, but we're a little behind schedule. Anybody would have figured. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. Uh, no, we're having a great, great conversation. Love it. But um, we talked a little bit about Masters. There's some things we'll dabble on there to finish Masters later on, Jeff. But um, the other tournament, of course, we always talk about lots is the C5 in the Open. Um, the, you haven't played that as many times, um, or is it just that you didn't make it as many times? Obviously, give us a little insight there. Did you have a preference to playing the Masters versus the Open? Um, I mean, your stats, sorry, just let me do this quickly, is six men's teams. Um, or you, you maybe made a lot of winnipeg teams but then going to nationals was six times men's one mixed and one coach so we help us explain some open uh, time well no actually um pretty much if i'm if i made the winnipeg team we pretty much went on as a rule um i i just like the format more so of the masters i mean we've all done it you're playing in the c5s not bowling so good you got like 58 in the fourth you miss you come off the lane you're walking backwards you don't want to look at your coach <laughs> because you're going to get pulled but masters is you throw that ball you turn in the pit and you go oh my god there's no one to come in for me i'm stuck here so it's more pure to that sense like coaching becomes a factor in the c5 so um having the five players it sort of takes the coaching out of it a bit um I, I, I let my wife play. I, I chose to play money tournaments. Um, but when it's all said and done, and this is going to tie back to when we were kids, my second year out of YBC, I was bowling Monday nights. This kid joined the lane, the league, Cam Boone. And we hit it off. And his dad was a good coach, great bowler too. Pardon me, very good bowler. Not great, no offense, Bart. Bart. Um, um, I threw the word around bad there. Um, but his dad was lift and roll, lift and roll, lift and roll. And Cam and I decided, no, it's roll. Roll and lift, but roll. you got to have roll. Um, plus, right around then, TV was coming on, and we decided we wanted TV. And, and that's really what I went for, was TV. 
because you know if, if you're lucky enough to have a crazy year you make both tv shows and the c5 and the masters like that's a lot of vacation time to go bowling um so we went for tv and i mean cam when he gets in his cups in the day he'd get so mad at me you beat me on tv cat you're four and one on tv you lost to your friend like <laughs> suck it up man like give your head a shake so and, and he was even more so a guy that stopped playing team bowling at all in fact there you go what would the history of 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 alberta bowling be if bruce mortar never played with lynn Howell? i never played in a team with cam boone never not one time with you never played with him no never oh. played in the same team um oh, crazy it, and and he was as tough as anybody and in fact only played with Shannis a couple of times, um, only the one Masters team ever. Uh, both times I played with Shannis on the team, we got bronzes at the Nationals. Um, it, it's luck of the draw sometimes, but uh, I let my wife play. She did really well. She, uh, she, Dylas would always start her because Karen was somebody that had seven bagger in her pocket. She's a really good thrower. Um, but towards the end of her career, like the coaches would leave her on the bench on Saturday mornings and it drove her crazy. Like, and sometimes she wouldn't even get in. But that being said, the last time she played and she got a gold, Matt Taransky started and played terrible. So Karen went up in the ninth, got a corner spare in the first strike in the 10th for a gold medal. So she went out in a blaze of glory. Um, but having a mate that you can talk about bowling that understands what you're talking about and can suffer you being gone is priceless. I mean, yeah very lucky with that yeah because you, you're, you're exactly right you she understands the mindset that you're going when you want to go to compete at a provincials or a, a weekend away for the masters for the qualifying or you know the kg or a tpc or whatever it is you're right yeah go for it i understand what you're going through you're right absolutely it, huge it's one of those things like i still follow the tournament as it goes on like in real time to see what's happening and in my head i really wish i was there but if I had it in my heart that I wanted it, I would be there. But I, I didn't have it in my heart so much because I went to both nationals a few times. And, you know, I like to whoop it up. And I'm just not recovered four weeks later <laughs> and ready to go again. I'm just I'm just not. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's totally fair. <laughs> you're, not just, you're, just, you're right. If yeah. you're at the top of your game, and Jeff, you obviously were in, in Manitoba, that if you're playing every Masters, you know you've got your weekend qualifying, so you've got a national event in July, and then you play the Open, you know that you're going to be playing at Easter, and then the chances are real good you're going to be playing at, you know, it's a lot to commitment, so, um, you know, you got you got to make the choice, for sure. Um, but a couple of your opens, though, um, do you remember the couple of times you, you were all-star uh, at opens? Which teams were those a part of that, uh, that you, um, you got those? The first one, I was an all-star in 2002. The Nationals were here in Winnipeg, and we had a dynamite team. We had uh, Doug Wood, Glenn Howarth, Dan Robson, myself. Um, our rookie was Brian Perego. He was bowling out of his head. He got, sort of got charmed by the, because we bowled up north and that's where he was from. And he got charmed by the guys up there and he had a killer provincials. Um, and one other really good bowler, oh, Rob Shannis. Yeah, we had just an unbelievable team. Uh, we just didn't play very good on uh, on the Saturday morning and Quebec ran all over us in the semifinal and then took the final from uh, the title from, 
from Alberta. But I, I guess one of, here's an example of why I wasn't so fond of the C5s. You didn't even know the format until you went to the Nationals. Some year they qualified four teams. Some years they qualified three teams. Like, there was a few years that we qualified fourth where there was only three teams going on. So on a different year, we would have been playing. And this year we're not. So it was always up to the host committee, I guess. I don't know who decided how many teams were going to go on, but you'd think that would be sort of a uniform decision, right? That, uh, that's really interesting. The, the only ones that I've ever been to have always been four. Yeah, it was four, three in Winnipeg in 2002. It was three in, in Quebec in 1995. That year we were fourth. Um, that was that was just a terrible year. We were bowling Sask Saskatchewan and ended up they were third and we were fourth. And they broke a string on the head pin on uh we're on one and two and when i'm playing i'm playing if if i want to coach i can coach but i can't get distracted eh? and my team in front of me i'm playing anchor are playing while their second bowler is waiting to throw his first ball to get the head pin fixed and my team is playing beside this guy sitting on the approach like what are you guys doing so all of a sudden when they fix the lane I'm waiting for their two-hole guy, their three-hole guy, their four-hole guy all to play because I'm anchor and I want to see what's going to go on. And it falls, I need a strike. I'm on a double. I leave a corner, we lose. And I was so upset. I went and shot a buck 70 next game. We ended up in fourth. Um, but uh, in the 2002 <laughs> year, I played I played super good. I was like, I think I had second high tournament average. And uh, at the last game when we needed needed – a couple of points to get in. Rob and I both shot like three forties, so it was pretty secure. And then when I made All Star in two thousand five, I was on a mixed team, and and this mixed team sounds great on paper. Me and my wife, Chris Monchak, Rob Shannis, uh, Randy French, Barb <laughs> Kowalchuk, really super good on paper. But some of the people maybe didn't get along so good, and that goes to the chemistry thing, eh? But uh, in those twenty games, it went to the tenth frame for me. 16 times like every it went to the 10th frame like all of the time and uh, i was 16 and four for wins i averaged i 265 i played super strong and so i was happy to make the the all-star team there I, it's one of those things too like if made an all-star team i would have felt really like it was a hole on my resume kind of thing so i was i was really relieved i guess as much as anything else to to get that badge now, were you... Rob actually told me that uh, when we were playing Quebec... Go ahead. No, you're good. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, when we were playing Quebec in that last day, the last rotation, um, he, he said it was the best game I, he'd ever seen bold. I shot uh, a clean game of marks, including four cutoff spares. When I went up on the 10th, I went first, and, and we were up like 200 going into the... Uh, the ninth but uh their leadoff guy struck out the 10th their second guy struck out the 10th their third guy got 35 in the 10th and i don't know that their anchor knew the score because when i went up i got a cutoff he went and missed and he jumped me like it was my turn to throw and he sort of cut me off in the lane and gave me the open frame so i didn't oh. need to make the cutoff anymore like i mean that if if you know Dex, if you go up and get a cutoff and I and I miss, I'm going to give you a chance to like to punch that three pin. You know, I, yeah. like yeah. to my mind, the cutoff is the hardest spare. Like it's because it's, yeah. what happens so many times is you throw a half ball for the chop, and then you throw a half ball at the chop and punch it. So it's like 
you throw the same ball twice in a row, but neither of them have enough juice, eh? Or maybe, depending on the bowling alley, it could be a two-thirds ball. Like, I, 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 it seems to me like Bonnie Doon is a place where you can get away with a two-thirds ball sometime and still, like, get strikes. You, you, uh, you, you can get away with a quarter ball. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, Tim's Schultz still bitter. He used to practice there, and he'd practice missing the head pin on purpose and try to send strings around to get strikes when he was young at the, at the old dune there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, set up for that. So just to wrap up some team event stuff, and then we'll move on to some of the cash games and, uh, and tournament stuff. But what position did you prefer playing in the lineup? Um, you know, you, I like, know you, you talked about second a couple times. You, well, you I like anywhere but leadoff. I just want to follow somebody. I don't like lead off. Um, to my mind, everybody's anchor in the tenth frame. So, if it's I, I like four hole because I could go and get my three strikes in the tenth. So my anchor just needs a mark instead of me bowling anchor where I need three strikes to win. Um, but Dallas Turner's theory was you put your best bowlers first. So. You know, because if the first guy doesn't get a mark, the second guy better, because that gets heavy coming down the hill. So to that end, that's why I didn't mind playing second, because I could I could help fire the guys up underneath me. Eh? Yeah. Hmm. Does that but, make you feel uh, better about all the times you played second, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I, I look back on a couple of teams where uh, I wasn't assertive enough, where I should have said I want to be anchor. Because looking at back at it, like the te- guys I was with, they probably wanted me anchor. You kind of thing, because because the, the, I'm an anchor that when I leave a corner, the boys can start jumping around because they ain't gonna miss that corner. You know what I'm saying? Some guys who like to throw a lot of strikes, you know, maybe they're not gonna pick that corner. You know, so it's still a little bit of nervousness. So. Um, I grew up, one of the games that, uh, I, that I cut my teeth on was a check frame game with John Matthews. And uh, you, you try to get each of the tenth frame, 10 frames. So, and we bet everybody in the whole league. And John kept the stats. Like, if you missed, 0 for 1, 0 for 2. He'd let you know if you weren't converting his anchor. So, as an anchor bowler, that was my duty, was to convert check frames. And like, when we won in 2016... The third day, my team was on fire, and I was terrible. But luckily, the first game, when I had 120 in the eighth, two guys on Northern Ontario had 120 in the eighth. Lucky me. So I had two games. On, in that 16 block, I had uh, two games under 200. My high game was 240. But they were going crazy. And, you know, a couple of times I ran four marks in a row for four check frames in a row because these guys were just going nuts. <laughs> so I just sort of stayed in the background, made some marks, and just let the let the dogs run, eh? It ain't all about me. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you, sometimes you got to realize that and say, no, it's not mine. But I'll just, I'll be, I'll be ready at the end. But I'm here. Yeah. Well, I got three wins that day because I, I, I played and like my, our last game against Luke, Luke Duguay, um, I got away with a two ten for a win. He had a bad game, but it was funny because going into the last game, and this is the third day, right? We won our first five games. And one of the guys on our team, I won't say who was, says, okay, guys, let's go get 8 nothing." And I look at him going, we've just won five games in a row. What are you talking about? So, of course, what happens is their two-hole guy, front nine, 
Thank you very much. And their leadoff guy strikes out nine and ten. So how's four ninety five for eleven frames? Take that. You know, just keep your mouth shut and play. Eh? <laughs> yeah, one game. Yeah. Karma, Way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay, good stuff on teams. Love the love the chat there. Let's go cash games. Um, and again, you've got a nice little resume, Jeff, here into this. But I think we'll start off with ninety seven kg. That's a, that's a pretty big uh, accomplishment to win that tournament. Would you say that that's probably one of the best moments of your career? Um, but let's let's talk about that one for a bit. Well, it's it's one of those things going to KG changed my life. Like when I first went in 1990, everyone told me my ball was going to work, but I didn't really have money. So I sort of got sponsored to go on the condition that I asked Bruce Mortar to be my doubles partner first shift. Ask Bruce Mortar, even if he doesn't want to go in UB doubles, but you have to go in doubles seven times. And that's something I've done ever since. Even if it's a small field, always double seven times. Because if you bowl big, you want to sweep the money. Eh? Yeah. So uh, my second shift, I shot 24-63, swept the doubles. Uh, won a couple of matches. And it was funny because no one really had seen me there before. Um, I'd only been to the 90 you know, it was in 1990. I hadn't even been to the C5 Nationals for the first time then. It was only the 86 Masters. So these guys, no one's really seen me before, except people that came to the Manitoba Open. And even they didn't know me as a bowler from there because we bowled at a Dakota and the place was so tough. And I, and I, I was able to accept the fact that I wasn't making the cut at Dakota because Brian Goodhope couldn't make the cut at Dakota. <laughs> Bruce Mortar couldn't make the cut at Dakota. The, the place just didn't like their shots and I knew they were great bowlers. Right. So when I went on the road, I said, maybe this bowl now likes me and it, and it did. And so I, I'm bowling Lenny Anseth, my first match the next day. And he tried to psych me out as he does, as I'm walking past me, he goes, Oh, this guy hasn't stopped throwing strikes, trying to make me stop throwing strikes. But I won a couple of matches. Then the next year when I went my first shift qualifying, I shot 25 2 So high qualifier again, sweep doubles. I won four matches that year. And then 92 was the next, the first year I hurt my hand. Like I put in my bio that I hurt my hand in 2000 and ish, 2001 mm -hmm. or whatever. But this is the first time I hurt my hand. It was all swelled up like this. Like I couldn't get my thumb on the ball. So I missed the cut and I didn't go back again till 97. So I knew the bowling alley really liked me. And I missed the qualifying the first shift. And I go out second shift. And I'm looking for partners and I need a seventh partner. Kerry Snyder, come be my partner. Me? <laughs> yeah, Kerry, be my partner. He goes, shoots 24-11. Thanks, buddy. I shoot 22-50. So, and I didn't just win the tournament. I went doubles. So that was nice. And I got half myself in the Calcutta when I won that tournament. So it was a real good payday for me. But I played 36 games. I lost in, this, in the A finals to Holdsworth. And he loves to bug me that. Well, if I played you in the finals, you would have, I would have beat you. Yeah, because it would have been after midnight by the time we left. Like, <laughs> yeah. He totally froze me. That would have been the was... slowest match ever. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't sit anymore because I've been bowling for so long. So we're bowling 15 and 16-ish. I walk all the way down along the back of the approach to one and two. And I guess he saw me out of the corner of his eye. So he waited for me to come all the way back past him on the approach with one ball. So luckily for me, he went to play Mortar. Mortar beat him. And I played Violini on the other side. And uh, I, I got through her. I, I had a good game last game, 270 strike up. And uh, when I went up on the 10th, I didn't need the shot. So I went miss right, miss left, 
hit the headpin. And these older ladies in the audience booed me for beating her. Like, <laughs> but I didn't need the strikes for the score. And then I started with a six-bagger corner spare. And, and actually, that's something I told Bradley Titkit after he bowled me in the tournament. Because, you know, there's pure scoring and there's match play play. He, 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 had, he, sh- he struggled for 370 that first game in the Masters singles against me. But he didn't need it. He won before he stepped in the lane. If he starts the next game with those three strikes, he's Canadian champion. But he got those three strikes, even though he'd already beat me. And he ran out every one and, like, really enjoyed it. But there was no purpose in that, per se. And, you know, and that's why my master's average, team average mine isn't as high as it could be. Um, or this, because if the game's over and I've won and we've won, I'm just throwing my balls to go shake hands. Like, I don't need the score anymore, right? Like, what's the point of it? So, anyway, that's again, that's another example of how I think about the game a little differently than other people. I mean, it, it's sort of like match play golf. Mm-hmm. You, you don't, the other guy picked up, drop your ball, hit a couple of putts, yeah, go to the next hole, on. right? Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so my key match in that tournament, ultimately, uh, on the side, I went up, I'm bowling Kevin Slippert, and we tied. But I needed First five match. in my last, yeah, I needed five in my last ball to get the tie. So, um, and then I played uh, a bunch of guys that are off the uh, top 100 list. Bernie Menard, uh, Lynn Howell, Rob Shannis, Lenny Anseth, Diane Bellini, and uh, Bruce Mortar in the final. And uh, I came back one time after, after a shot. And my trainer, the guy that sort of bankrolled me then, was uh, Phil Robinson. Uh, he told me afterwards, he says, you know, there was a streak, streak there where you had 15 head pins and you got 15, 13 times. So, you know, if you go strike punch 15, double punch 15, three-bagger punch 15, that's 210 in the eighth. So that's still a good score, right? But, you know, you get some bad counts on that. Now it's 187 in the in the, uh, in the the eighth. So that, those fives really, really add up. Yeah. And um, so when I went to the final, I, what can I say? I bowled out of my head. I... Uh, 972, 348, 303, 321. I was going in. He got on me a bit in the second game. It was 348, 220. Uh, I went six bagger, corner spare, punch, sat down, came up, struck nine. And I had a strike nine. I came off the bench and got the strike in 10 for 348. And then I wasn't doing so well. Bruce had a big start, but I struck seven, eight, sat down, struck nine and 10 to, to, to beat him like 303, 302. In the last game, I went three bagger, corner spare with a 100 pin lead. So. I'll take 218 in the third any day. Yeah. I like to I like to add in my leads, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. kind of thing. So it was it was very satisfying for sure. Um, Life changing event ultimately. Yeah, I think it would be just. I mean, even you guys, um, you know, the WCBT or any of these tour events. I mean, for somebody to have a title under their belt, I mean, that's it's just a big accomplishment for sure for anybody well, who's won any of these big tournaments. The next event was Regina, and uh, I made it to the semifinals there. I was playing uh, Donnie Salmon. He ended up winning the event. And I went up in the ninth, and I got a 12 count, and I missed a spare. And I sat down, and he uh, he shut me out. And Camboon, uh, before, like halfway through the game, is going, Jeff, if you win, if you win this tournament, dude, you're my idol forever. <laughs> of course he was. I can see that. 100% he's saying that, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I did. I did uh, Regina was really good to me. Uh, Prairie Lanes really liked me, and uh, uh, Golden Mile uh, liked me too. So people talk about liking bowling alleys. Well, people like bowling alleys that like them. I mean, it could be dust and dirty, and the bathroom's disgusting. But man, if you're averaging three twenty, let me at it. Yeah, it's the best place ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's not let's not start naming names of places like yeah. that. But we all like them. Um, how about we switch to TSN? Because obviously you talked earlier about you wanted to play on TV. I wanted to be a, a TV player. You and Cam uh, Boone. So obviously some success at TSN's uh, '99 ch- champion. Um, walk us through that event for that one, Jeff. Um. Well. I, in, in, a ba- in a bad way, I was sort of the pivotal player on TV ever because um, in 95, I had some personal balls and I was waiting for my ball to come back in the, in the last show and I was, took too much time and I made a couple of comments to the audience and Gino later goes, oh, as soon as you started talking, Jeff, I knew you were in trouble. So I got suspended for the rest of the season for it. But that was the first time they started a game on the TV bowling in the third frame or the second frame like they always wanted you to go fast like the red as soon as the red light goes on you go well that's not my pre-shot routine when the red light comes on i can start my pre-shot routine no 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 you we need you to go go fast well so needless to say in a bad way i sort of revolutionized the game because you know towards the end when tom patterson and cam boone are winning this thing's like they're starting in the eighth frame like these guys are taking so much time on the approach sorry cam <laughs> But, uh, so anyway, the TSN, um, my first game, I go up first in the 10th. Uh, it's a two frame carryover. We both have four frames and I punch. So I get 15, one of the biggest headpin 15s I ever got. Cause I'm lucky enough that he goes miss miss for 15. So I win. Then I bowl against, uh, Kenny Byrne. He starts with a double. I go strike spare. Um, so he's got two frames and then I throw four strikes he sort of bleeds around a bit but then he goes up first in the ninth, 10th, 11th for strikes but misses so I can go up in the 10th go strike corner spare for 371 and lose I needed two strikes so I got the strikes for 388 to go on right. and then I'm bowling the semifinals against uh Oh, a fellow from BC. I see his face right now. Anyway, <laughs> he goes up in the 10th, strike punch, and he throws 100 miles an hour, and somehow he does not get the bonus pin. Like, it, it's it's a place where you can get cutoffs off punches, and he gets no bonus pin, so he gets 25. So I go strike punch. Oh, no, it's all over. Oh, bonus deuce. Yay, I need five to go on, and I got the five. In the final against Cam, I shot a clean game, all marks, 310. And, uh, and what's funny is because I had him five frames to nothing. And he got a couple of, couple of marks. And uh, then I threw a ball that was a uh, head pin, turned into a cutoff for a spare. And that's the one he'd, he'd love to grind me on. Well, I was so lucky. That was a TSN turning point. I go, Cam, I had five frames already. <laughs> like, I, 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 that, relax. So. So anyway, I shot 310. I was, a, I was the first guy to shoot 1,200, I think, on TV at that time. Um, and when I went back the next year, uh, had a, I won my first game. And then I played Steve Cummings, and we had the seven-frame carryover. Oh, yeah, right. And I've, 
I've, I've never felt any pressure like that ever before. The only time I felt that kind of pressure is like after I won 97 in the KG, I went back and played the Invitational for $1,000. And uh, at that Invitational, I went like 280, 330, buck 80. I sweat through a shirt in one game. Like, <laughs> I, I'm a guy that changes shirts and such. Eh? Like I like to be cool all under. And uh, I, I was feeling it so bad, but I came back and bowled really well. And it's the same thing in this match. Like, who's going to blink first? And he just got ripped for a corner. Like, I saw, I, I watched it later on TV. Like, he threw a great ball, and uh, I got pretty lucky. But uh, what I've learned is that it's the frames are a two frame slot. So you don't celebrate the right hand lane, but you double celebrate the left. Because I, if I get too excited, I don't throw a good ball next. So we're, when we won in 2016, second game, we're playing Alberta, and uh, uh, we're up six. I'm bowling Schultz, anchor, both on spares, and he sends me, and I strike, and I start to celebrate, yeah, yeah, yeah. And before I'm even off the pit, he's throwing his strike, eh? You know how fast he is, eh? And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> it's my oh, turn. my yeah. God, I got to calm down and throw a good <laughs> shot. So I threw another strike, and I came back, like, super low-key. And actually, if, if, if you watch the highlight, actually, of, of my 10th frame against Titkit, I needed two strikes, right? So when I got the first strike, I just walked off the lane like, well, I had to get that. There's no point in getting excited yet. So, um, And then when I played the, the third game, I finally ran out of gas. But uh, I, ran, I ran six games in a row, win row there at the, for the TSN. So it was pretty nice. And what's funny is that since I've been to Richmond Lanes before, I didn't even bother bringing my bowling balls. I got from the incident in 95 where I was waiting for my personal ball. I said, I don't want to face this stuff anymore. I'm just going to use their rack balls. And there's lots of situations where I've used rack balls since. And we started the uh, 2004 singles and masters. And, and I went to put some balls on the rack. And George and uh, Walter Heaney goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't move balls. I go, we haven't started yet. Like, you, you can, I understand you can't move balls during play, but we haven't started yet. Well, though, I'll move them over. Yeah, like that. That's the technicality. Like someone else can take them, but I can't. Like, yeah. Don't you have your own personal balls? Yeah, but some bowling alleys, especially if they're greasy, eh? You just want to use their greasy balls because they're uniformly greasy. If, you're, if your ball is like pristine, yeah, and you get tracks of grease on it, and you're holding the grease, yeah. and you don't know where the grease is, so you know what? I I 100% agree. I tried to do that in Red Deer a couple of years ago for provincials. And Tim and, and Weber were looking at me, and I could hear him chirping behind me like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Why is he using those? And they started to critique me back there throwing house balls, but the house balls work there. They work. It's the one thing that works, and they're all oily, and they all run straight, and they, but they all actually break on the, on the middle. And, isn't that you know? Stu Ryan's thing? He's like, hey, no, these shoes. Oh, house shoes. shoes. Oh, but isn't there somebody that says, I'm going to throw, or is it still the, the shoe saying? It's the shoes. These, the shoes now. These shoes have, throw, have thrown more strikes in this place than any other, <laughs> yeah. anybody bringing their own shoes, their own ball somewhere. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. I was doing a little bit of uh, digging around, Jeff, on the TSN and the CBCs, and I just saw the one where, I think Shannis got hurt. Was that 2007? And then you got into the TSN and almost won it too. You played Barber, I think, in the semis, and that was just the the, the match that I saw on there. Yeah, I had a uh, I had a punchy match. And the thing is, what I'd learned from my TV was that I would tell the uh, director, "Let me know right before we're going to go bowling, and because I'm going to go to the bathroom. And what I do is go to the bathroom, and I punch the shit out of it 
and get my pulse up because you can't run cool unless you're already hot, eh? And I forgot to do it, so I was ice cold. I had I had no heat, and so I I just couldn't get that inch of lift, you know? Yeah. That to, to oh, I got a bunch of stories how I come short. I look back. So, if so I, if you golf with me, I'll drive you crazy. Every shot that's bad, I'll tell you why. <laughs> so if you want more lift, beat the shit or something in the bathroom. Well, you, 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 to be cool, you have to have been hot. Yeah. You can't if, if you're cold, you can't become cool. Yeah. <laughs> What's cool I mean, and, I mean, you guys need a treadmill. I think that at the <laughs> tour finals or the TPC, we need a <laughs> treadmill or something in the back just so people can do the warm up. It's, a little it's like, a, a Peloton bike, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. this too, and 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 it and it's a golf thing. Like, if it's cold, you better put your mittens on in the first tee because if you decide finally put yeah. them on in the fourth tee, your hands are blocks of ice. They're not going to warm up anymore. So you got to keep your heat. So I, I, I think Tim Hooper has something there. Psychology degree. Suddenly everything making sense. It's, <laughs> you kind of have a point there. I mean, we all kind of thought we knew Jeff Bourne, and now that with this psychology <laughs> degree, we've got a little bit of credibility behind this, Jeff. Jeff well was about to get once we could figure himself out. <laughs> anyways, anyways, you've had a pretty solid career again at TSN, obviously winning in the one year, you know, almost making it the next year. A lot of any other cash event um tournaments that you want to touch on some of the high qualifiers some of these events i mean have you played the full wcbt circuit i don't think we've seen you here for a little bit but no i i've never been to red deer i only went to edmonton a couple of times uh i went to calgary a few times i was actually intending to uh, take my son to calgary um because with a bad wing it's probably the tournament i got the best chance of going deep in um uh but of course things fell and I just hope I hope we have tournament bowling again sometime. I mean, like like you said, I got 24 masters. I'd love to get that plaque for 25. Um, I guess a, a couple of TSN turning points haha, are we had when the computerized scoring first came on, we had the 369 tournament that was run at Niagara Lanes, and that was owned by the Turners, Dallas Turner and Gord Turner. And Niagara Lanes did not like me in the slightest. And Willie Orn, legally blind, I was giving him a ride on the Saturday night. There was three shifts, Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. And I asked him how it was. He says, I've never seen the bowling alley like this before. I've never seen a bowling alley like this before. And I went, really? Really? And I had 3,000 for nine and I had 356. So I shot 3,356 and I won scratch and handicap. So for a hundred bucks, I won like $1,200. So that was uh, a nice touch for the coffers. Um, the first time the strike at Rich ever showed up, uh, at Dakota with computerized scoring. My buddy Ron Amediation had missed a few weeks on Tuesday nights. He was on my team and he won it first time he saw it. And then it carried over for 2,900 and I won that for 2,900. So uh, my first 400 was a 450. Um, I had some good firsts, you know, where I came through, like that gave me confidence that I was going to be able to do it again someday. Uh, so those are some good ones. What's another cash one? Uh, Where'd you throw the 450? I threw it at Gary Lane's. We, uh, I was 20, and it was uh, it was a real high-scoring house that year. There was two 450s and 11 other 400s. Um, I actually saw an old sheet. I was cleaning up my parents' house. My mom just passed, and uh, I was 256 halfway through the season. I ended up at 264, so I, have, I averaged 272 the last half of the year. Um and it was my first match play league. 
and it was very exciting. It uh, and it was actually the beginning of me learning how to adjust because it had illegally small green balls, which I used for my 450. But it also had some brand new giant Brunswick balls. So even back then, when I was 20, I was already, I was adjusting because you could not throw the, the the brown ball as hard as you could throw the green ball, right? So. Yeah. But back then, when I was really young, I came out of YBC. I had my backswing that I have now, and I took four steps from the from the approach from the from the from the pit. So I threw really hard. <laughs> and if I if I hadn't have fine tuned it down, I, I don't think that I would have had the success I had. But and that's one of the things you, we all do is fine tune your game, right? Yeah. Hmm. Nice. Um, you talked about your. Your, your bad wing is that uh, in 2000 you had an injury um or is that more recently that you're you're not going long days into bowling or how's that affected you talk about that if you don't it's mind. it's just a uh a thing that I've, I've dealt with for a very long time i mean um i if i'm going to do push-ups i have to do them on my fists i i can't pronate onto my hand like this like even to, i can't roll my wrist up on top without it hurting without it even moving um I, it's bothered me a long time, and it's not something I ever told anybody. Uh, I just, I don't, I'm not hiding behind that. But um, when 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 I did have the 30 games at the Mantle Open, my loss to Sandy in the final, Rob was laughing at me afterwards. At the Deanna Barber would have people over afterwards. At how just every ball was clank, clank, clank <laughs> right in the foul line, but it was the same speed, you know. And uh, that's really what it's all about. It's roll, not lift and roll. It's roll, and uh, so I, I didn't want to bet on myself because all the tournament bowling is the money is end loaded. Um, to get four fifty back to make the cut, that that just covers your flight these days. And I guess that's one of the issues when we talk about bowling that that maybe you guys have to look at when you want to run your tour is that. Your entry fees are the same now as they were in 1989. And the costs are way, way more. Like, we used to wait for a seat sale to go to Regina. I mean, to go to Saskatoon, because we'd always be able to fly for 100 bucks eventually. And hotel rooms were about, say, we'll say 100 bucks then. So, you know, if you made the cut on your first shift and won a match, you actually could cover. But uh, with the costs the way, are, the way are now, you need to make $1,000 just to cover your costs. So it becomes an exercise in covering like a couple of years I went to a few money tournaments and it went pretty well because you know one tournament you'd win 2500 and two tournaments you don't win so you end up even but the two tournaments you didn't win weren't necessarily very much fun I, I wasn't hanging around with such fun people back then I mean as as a total aside I, mean, I really owe Karen Armstrong and Rob Shannis a lot because because I don't know you guys like the Blue Jays yeah. baseball like when all rude came up all the hitters wanted to talk to him brett mattingly he had such a sweet swing eh? and shannis was like that he knew everybody so i hung out with shannis i became friends with mortar and gig and these guys through that and then for hanging out with karen i met everybody like she's she's the perfect <laughs> uh liquor store employee i mean she's <laughs> friendly to everybody yeah. and yeah. uh so i met tons of people through these people and uh, it made my tournaments much more fun to go to because I had more people that I could just go talk to, right? So, uh, but uh, generally speaking, my my hand is still shot. I, I did go 
a few years ago to smaller diameter bowling balls and it's not so bad um like my my wife has a set of green balls that are like illegally small that i actually used in 2005 for my all-star birth <laughs> so it, it's one of those things if they put the ring around those things maybe they weren't legal but uh i think people will be looking next time at jeff Bortz. Yeah. yeah bowling well, balls it's, yeah. it's running yeah. jokes for me I, I love to get the girls to touch my small balls feel those <laughs> touch my balls isn't that tiny? Yeah. Okay, that's after dark. Five, I'm not, five I'm minutes not, after dark. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is the right time, but we're gonna we're gonna transition to coaching and some of the side of things. Well, so. I'll just I'll just I'll, I'll say yeah. this last about bowling equipment. I mean, I think diameter means more than surface in terms of ball booming differently. Like if you want to have all your bowling balls be three eight uh, and like four and seven eighths. It doesn't matter what different surface you have. They're not going to move that much different. If you have a big set of balls and a little set of balls, they're going to move different. Sure. Yeah, 100%. And give you uh, different lift. Yeah. Um, you had said, sorry, uh, I wanted to clarify about the tour and the events and looking at entry fees. Are you suggesting that we might have to look at increasing entry fees to, say, 250 um, so that there's uh, more I, money? More like, more, mo more like 300 Okay, so so there's more money in the prize pool in order to cover. So not looking well, for a lot more of... money for the proprietors to pay their staff. I mean, those those things are running so late, and uh, all the staff are working overtime, and like bowling alley employees don't get paid overtime, so they should get paid somehow. And uh, I, I I became sort of a favorite in Saskatoon because I tipped the hell out of the ladies behind the bar. I, I'd won money, so I spread my one my one money, and they just they just loved to the help. They couldn't help me enough because uh, because <laughs> I tipped so. Uh, yeah, it's for sure. interesting you, you say that because you're. I, I've played now for twenty years on events, and it's always been two hundred bucks. It, it was uh, one hundred and eighty to start. Yeah, and then did it bump to two hundred and. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's already it, the point. It's already the point where the, the people that are going are playing for the prestige. Like they're they're not so worried about the money, you know, and uh, I don't think a little a little more money wouldn't hurt in terms of like covering the lineage. Well, I completely agree with you, especially when um, you're getting 250, 260 entries for 32 spots, right? Um, Saskatoon was notorious for having over 200 entries, but that was for 48 spots. Um, so increasing prize money or increasing entry fee probably wouldn't be so detrimental to the tournament as maybe some people think. I think if yeah. you're paying $200 and maybe you're two-shifting it, it's very easily to say, well, I'll easily spend three hundred dollars if I'm going to make six hundred dollars if I make the cut, right? Like, there's a yeah. there's an yeah. easy way to correlate that prize and money. We, well, we yeah, might see a, we might see a drop in entries. You might you might you might see it go from two hundred and sixty entries to two hundred and twenty, you know, or two hundred and ten or something like that. But that's still more than covers it. That actually takes some stress off the the people running the tournaments and keeps the prize money up further. That's not a bad idea at all. Well, the thing is, when I came out of YBC, of course, in 1980, and you know, pots were a buck a game. That was a lot of money, a buck a game. Like, and now pots are still a buck a game. So it's not so much money back, like for your leagues. Um, and I just can't believe watching the young kids bowl. 
how much these kids that don't even really have full-time jobs are in school, how much they're betting each other. Like they're betting 10, 20 bucks a game. Where are you getting this money? Like is mom and dad giving this to you? What's your job? Like, because kids, if you bet 10 bucks, you're actually betting 20, right? Win 10, lose 10. So, um, I think, I don't think you'd have to worry that much about it. And, and given actually the, the COVID landscape, you might be able to run tournaments at 500 bucks and just have a hundred entries. Um, <laughs> because it's, well i mean you've be... done the you've done the invitationals or you've done the those things i mean that's the that's the avenue for the high rollers that are going to play the thousand bucks or the 500 dollar entry fees but definitely worth the consideration obviously the tour guys that going up to 250 talk with the tournaments too does that affect obviously yeah is there lineage right now at each individual tournament i'm not sure what there is differently at each one so um, yeah um in place. we we can go into a little bit of specifics because we happen to know knowledge and it and it is public um some of the wcp cbt events do take a lineage but it's covered by sponsorships so um like regina classic uses their sponsorship money to cover the lineage so 100 percent prize money goes back out to the bowlers um i know autumn open has a small lineage fee so does tpc red deer has started a small lineage fee and a lot of people don't see that lineage fee because there is sponsorships covering a lot of that. So um, yeah. I don't think it's very hard for us to increase entry fees when you know the prize funny prize money is going to correlate it. Especially when um, I know I've been playing on tour for I don't know how long, let's say 15, 16 years. We used to fly to Regina for 75 bucks. Now you can't fly to Regina for under 300 right? So... Everything else is inflated except for the the tour itself, and unfortunately, it might be time to start increasing those fees to help support. Like Jeff said, it, some guys aren't going to fly out to make the cut just to double their money when they really need to cover their cost. Is the first step, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, obviously, there's some financial guys on that board that can do some analytics on with a twelve twenty dollar increase. This is how much we'll back. With a $50 increase, right? Maybe you send it out to the tour members to get their feedback first. But, um, yeah, obviously, su centers supporting you, prize money's getting it, people covering their costs. If they can make top 32 or make the cut and double their money, I think the chance to do that, you, you wouldn't see the numbers go down greatly. But, anyways, that's another topic, another conversation, good stuff. Um, let's go to YBC, and let's go to your coaching days, Jeff, about... Uh, some of the coaching stuff that you've done, obviously giving back to the game too. Um, you know, YBC Nationals five times. Give us a uh, give us some recap there. Well, uh, I started coaching '93 uh, at Windsor Lanes for when Norm still owned the lanes, and uh, when my son started bowling, we were bowling at Windsor Lanes, and we would have stayed at Windsor Lanes if Norm owned the bowling alley. But once uh, he let it go. I gave Ryan a choice whether to go to uh, St. Patel Lanes, which was run by Dallas Turner right by my house, or Dakota, also equally close to my house. And he chose Dakota. He had more friends there. And the funny thing is, the core group of kids that uh, we got our 2011 gold medal with, uh, Dallas ran one shift of YBC Saturday mornings at 9, and Dakota's senior's YBC was Sunday afternoon at 1. So they bowled in both places. So... I could have won the gold medal with those kids in either bowling alley. Um, but uh, I was happy to go to Dakota 
because this kid, this 15-year-old, Trevor Cook, had already thrown a 450. And there comes a point in who you're going to listen to as a coach. And I knew that he would probably listen to me because I got something to say. Um, and, and I've heard from a couple of people that sometimes I have too much to say. What are you telling me to bowl for? What do you know? A lot. But by the way, you don't have to take my advice. But, you know, I've had a couple of drinks and I'm going to give it to you anyway. So kind of thing. <laughs> wow. And, and it, I'm not doing it. And it, it's actually one of the things about our sport that's good is that we want everyone to be good. I'm not keeping the stuff I know a secret. It's, well, a secret from the other provinces, you know. Yeah. Back, back! But uh, maybe not now. I'm just going to release everything I ever wrote. What the heck? Um, <laughs> so anyway, and this other kid, Shane Berry. And, of course, those two guys, like in 2018, Trevor averaged 281 and Shane averaged 267. So And they got a gold medal. Uh, and they were in the same YBC team. Like, holy smokes, how lucky am I? Um, but we managed that year when we won in 2011. Uh, we lost our last two games on the second day because it goes six games, nine games, six games. And we lost our first game the next day. And I, I rolled the lineup over. I put Trevor lead off and put Shane anchor. And I, had, I told the guy that was lead off that it's not your fault. It's just we've lost three in a row. We have to make a change. It's nothing personal. And we won our last five games in a row to win. And when we broke for lunch, the guys are looking at the board and they're doing all sorts of math. And I'm going, hey, you know what we have to do? We have to win our first game after lunch, get away from the board. And that's what I give to you as a coach because I'm, I'm going to go back to Norm Shannis here. Um, he told me two things that I believe forever, and I'll tell you as a coach, is that the pins don't lie. If it's a corner, it's a corner. Any coach that says to their player that should have been a strike is not helping his player. You were talking nonsense. If it should have been a strike, it would have been a strike. It is what it is. Get your corner spare and make your money. And the other one is... Then I've lived by this, and I'll, I'll tie this back to a money story. Um, there's two times to look at the board to see what lane you're on and at the end of the tournament. Otherwise, it's a distraction. When I made the 2003 CBC show, one of the guys, Randy French, ran away. He had like 1,900 for six. So the rest of us are fighting for the last spot because um, it's everyone in the province for two spots. And uh, in the ninth game, I had 93 in the fifth but I got a nice save, made it 250, had the, like the 161 finish. And uh, the next game I go, miss spare, cut off spare, five bagger, and guys are coming to shake my hand, and I'm, I, I don't want to believe them. What's going on? It turns out in the ninth game, of the top 10 guys on the board, my 256 was the highest game by 50. None of the other eight guys shot over 210. So if I go look at the board, maybe I let down, maybe I relax. Instead of like thinking, oh my God, I just have 250, I got to get going. So I, I believe the board and all that math is a distraction because your mission is always the same. Throw it on the side. Get your spares. If you can get strikes, all the more power to you, but get a score. And um, that's one of the reasons, like, I'm proud of running streaks of games over 200. Like, if you want to stay, and dig in and stay with your one shot. Yeah, you can go 360, 160, 360, 160. I'd rather shoot four 260s kind of thing. It's easier on my soul, you know, kind of thing. So if I got 110 on the seventh, I am moving. 
And it doesn't matter if I went 330, 348. If I got 74 in the fifth, I am moving. I don't care because what have you done for me lately? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like time, that. Time to make an ju- adjustment, yeah. yeah. You can beat your head against the wall. A stopped watch is right twice a day. So if you got one shot, you're going to have your big days. I've written down like so it. I've written like down it. so many notes today. <laughs> yeah. anyway, back back to the coaching. So yeah. yes. I can help you. Uh, I, I can help anybody that follows the th- the principles. You got to walk straight. Got to have your hand behind the ball. Got to have your elbow inside. And if you do those things, I can help you. But if you can't do those things, I can't help you. I mean, I can tell you a couple of things that maybe could help your mind deal with the game better but the ball was never going to throw itself like I, I had a bad nationals and singles in in edmonton or i mean in calgary there in 2013 and brian rossetti asked me later like what happened how comes it was so bad and i go i i just couldn't get the ball in the slot like i just couldn't it's like a golf swing i just couldn't put the the club at the at the top of this and let, let let it swing itself like we're trying to for the money it's like you're trying to stay out of your own way, right? You take your first step and you cross your fingers and you hope that the ball comes out of your hand on the upswing because we don't actually throw it. Yeah. And that's yeah. what Dallas preached. She preached legs, 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 legs. So if your feet are underneath you, that gives you lift. And what happens when approaches are iffy, for me, if I, my second set gets short, I get... I get tilted and so my backswing gets too high and then I can't get the ball in front of me so it's a matter of letting the ball do the work and that's and that's what I say to myself in the approach and here's a good tie-in so in that shot you showed and I got a copy too Jim Llewellyn sent me and and the news clip bedlam like Dwayne Gillardi could not be yelling louder if if he had a megaphone he couldn't yell louder but that's why I talk to myself because when I talk to myself, I hear myself. I don't hear any of that. And I started to talk to myself to fight the silence of bowling on TV because it was too quiet and you can hear stuff there. So I talk to myself and what I say to myself is one time, let the ball do the work here. Come on, shooter. One time, like you can, like super generic stuff, just almost intoning like a mantra one time come on let the ball do the work just to say make enough noise so i can't hear anything else that's going on around and and that's something i would recommend for people to try to do to help them do better under big pressure is give yourself that con so so what happens because i do that when i play by myself in the summer and i'm talking to myself i'm at the nationals in my mind because for the money you're always playing alone in the bowling alley at the end right so by talking to myself taking the visualization, taking some rests in between shots. When I bowl in the summer, I'm bowling at, at the Nationals. I'm bowling on TV in my mind. So when you bowl by yourself, do the two frames, sit. Do the two frames, sit. If you're bowling really good, the guy that you're bowling, quote, he could be doing good too. You don't have to wait too long. But man, if you go head pin eight, head pin nine, go talk to the proprietor for 15 minutes. Then come back and bowl. <laughs> Put some rest in your practice. I mean, that's why guys go to the range and don't become better at the driving range because they don't step back. They don't visualize their shot. They don't choose an intermediate target. They just strike balls. So, yeah. Yep. 
where they don't actually pick a target to hit at. They're just hitting the ball and watching it fly. That's not that's not good practice. Exactly. Less less. I be, I preach less shots, better shots. I like all, though getting into a rhythm. Isn't there something to be said for that? Just to get that muscle memory and that automatic throw. Like Dexter, you're a little bit like that. Like you'd probably pick up a ball and just throw it a hundred times rather than be the one to sit back, practice, relax. You'd probably want to train yourself to overdo it without even thinking about it, right? So a bit of two different trains of thought here? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I still think the big, the biggest thing is like the pre-shot routine, right? So as much as I get up there, and I got, once I get my ball and I go up onto the lanes, I go really quick. You know, even when I'm practicing, I'm still doing the same things in the background that I would normally do up on the approach. Um, and yeah, it, it, if I'm if I'm bowling games or whatever, I will take a break every three frames or something like that, just to you know mimic that time period. Because I mean, I have to wait for people like you know Holdsworth <laughs> or Gino or those, those guys, right? You, you you learn you learn that you have to build that into. So um, even yeah, when I'm practicing, I'll still try to do mimic games as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it drives me crazy to see people practice, go to the rack, throw, and then go to the rack and step sideways. Like every yeah. turn starts from the pit. So if you're not yes. starting from the pit, you're you're not doing yourself any good at all, to my yeah. mind. So get off the lane, do your little toe tap, rub, yeah, do this, shake it out, whatever you need to do to the pitcher. Right. Well, for me, I, I have to. Where you'd start the stopwatch for me is when I when I, I, I rub my sliding foot on the ground to make sure they don't have any pebbles underneath there because yeah. I, I you know you go up there and you set yeah. and you put your foot out and there's a rock underneath it you got to start all over yeah. again so i just try to make sure that is the case and uh, the other thing i would say is uh when do you take your deep breath and, and the thing is if, if you're if you're taking your deep breath like this it's not a deep breath it went into your diaphragm you got to go like this you got to open up the airway to take your deep breath. And again, cleanse the soul, wipe, wipe yourself clean, shove your heart back down where it belongs, and then go. But I've seen so many people throw bad shots because they come back, oh, I, 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 my heart was in my throat. Well, you just didn't take your deep breath. So, You know, and to, to Lenny's comment there, repetition is your friend. The lane is open, go, go, go. You know, I like to often do that practice because then I sort of, feel like I'm working the fitness side of things. Whereas if I'm gabbing a ball, taking my time, hanging out, sitting down, um, you know, I'm just not doing anything for my stamina. Whereas if I can get in there and I can throw 30 balls in four minutes and 25 of them are strikes, you know, and I've gotten a workout out of it and I'm like, okay, I got some muscle memory and I had a workout and my body feels good and all that stuff. And I've got a lot of balls thrown. So I kind of like that practice a bit better, but if I was to be practicing for a match, you know, I maybe wouldn't do it that way. I would do a little bit of different type of training. So I think it's a, a time yeah. and a place for what type of training you're doing yeah. uh, and practicing with purpose. Like Kathy says, yeah, this today I'm focusing on my fitness. Today I'm focusing on my match play game. Does that make sense? Is there different types of training to practice? To the, the only thing Did I you? would be concerned about, Daryl, is if you're starting to throw that many balls that quickly, you're just you don't, you don't want your mechanics to break down. And sometimes if you start going that fast, that long, uh, you, yeah. you don't want to start practicing the wrong things because you're going fast. You know, I think, and, and that's I, the thing to be careful with is to not start doing the wrong things. So maybe that's where I need a coach like you guys to watch and say, whoa, you, do, you might not realize this, 
but after ball eight, you started doing something completely different, right? Yeah. Even though you still fit, I was fit enough yeah. and I was, my body was fine throwing 30 in a row mechanically and physically, you did, your, your shot was completely different at ball eight than it was at ball 30. So, yeah, yeah I, th I think something to take away from um, Jeff's experience and his, uh, obviously his accomplishments and stuff like that is it, it definitely, like Len says, it, it works for him and it's great. But it may not work for everybody. Um, obviously, brains don't all work the same. So um, whatever works best for you. But um, to Daryl's point, when I was, I guess, like, let's say 10 years ago, I would do the same thing. I'd go up there, I'd throw as many balls as I could, and you'd throw tons of strikes, and you'd play well in the qualifying shift and all that stuff. But nowadays, I don't know if that works so well for me. It... it uh, you, you lose a little bit, I think, and, and maybe that's an age thing. I don't know. No, I, so, I play, sorry, I play enough uh, reps in order to get a good feeling. That's all I play enough for. Um, you get a, And then maybe a little bit of adjustment on the approach, feeling how the approach is, feeling how the lanes are working. But I, I, I find throwing too many balls is just going to just ruin the rest of the day. Um, I'm sort of like Jeff a little bit where he's like, you throw too many balls, too, too many strikes in practice. I think I want to waste them all. Um, I'm super superstitious a little bit by that, but I, I find it it's very important to find a good good feel, a good rhythm, and then once I find that from my repetition, um, I'll probably stop in, well, in practice. That's a perfect segue because the first time that I start a tournament or my league, my first ball is the first time I threw the head pin. I shoot right 3-2, left 3-2, right 3-2, left 3-2, because you have to throw strike balls at those. So I don't throw any strikes in practice. I throw strike balls in practice. So I, I use rack balls. I don't use my personal balls. I save my balls to see what's going to happen for real. I don't line up any of that stuff. I just line up my game. Because you know what? You can't get a birdie on the driving range. You think you got a strike in practice? It wasn't a strike because you're not keeping score. You knocked down five pins, but it was not a strike because you're not keeping score. And so what happens, my edge now is I've shot more three twos than you three guys. You five guys. One, two, three, four. You four guys. <laughs> You've been so good with numbers all Add day. it up. Yeah. I've, I've thrown more three twos than you guys added up. So that becomes my edge is that I shoot because you're trying to find your edge. They call a bowling alley a house for a reason, just like Vegas. It's got the edge, baby. What's your edge? My edge is leaving the least pins. I don't get the most strikes necessarily. But any, any, any year I've averaged five strikes, I averaged 270 because my spare percentage is so high, right? Like we had a year where Dakota got killed and I averaged 278 and two guys averaged 270 on Tuesday nights. Two guys averaged 276. Two guys averaged 274 on Thursday nights. But none of those guys shot 80% corners. And they averaged that high. If one of them shot 80% corners, they would average 290. They threw so many strikes. So hmm. what's your edge? So my edge is shooting the three twos. And it's funny, in, in, in like the cycles of bowling, I, I didn't, I sort of was slumping a bit 2006-ish, the year I missed the team or missed the Masters team. And I didn't have a good Friday night. And I'm going to bowl Matt Taransky for 20 bucks. And I got a bad start. And I go down to like 15 and 16 at St. James, and I go, how come I drill my right 3-2 so good? Like, I drill my right 3-2, and I'm punching my headphones out. And I had a close look at it. Well, the arrow that shoots the 3-pin on the right, because I, I shoot up, I walk both 
lines. I throw my strike ball quarter to three two, but the arrow is on the left edge of the rubber for the three pin here. It's not like the head pin. The arrow is right on the middle of the head pin. So I move over those two boards in the approach. Eight bagger. I never was throwing up the slot ever until like after 2006. And it's been like I was reborn with this shot because instead of sort of throwing across the head pin and needing it to ride back on the nose, now I'm like stuffing it, just stuffing it right in its face, you know, kind of thing. And it, it's been glorious. It was, and that's only because I bowled a $20 game one Friday night that I even figured it out. Again, you need to have a tournament or some gambling on the line <laughs> to motivate you to really figure something out. Like, what are you really going to learn in practice? You, you need Except a little bit of habits. desperation. Yeah. You got to play for something. You got to play for something. And in fact, I was on a bus to go to... Masters had so much money, circa 1990, that I was on a bus to go to, to up north. And Doug Wood would be singles. And we counted three out of four tournaments. He wouldn't even go to Thompson. He'd just make it on his three tournaments. would even use a throwaway tournament. But the guys he bet needed someone to bet. And I knew that Thompson liked me. So I decided to bet these guys. And this is how tough the place played. I won the five-game block each of the two days, 13-10. So I won the tournament. I swept all these guys' money. And later on in the season, I had a game where I won 2-12 against 2-2-11s and a 2-10 against these guys. And I, won, I swept the bet. And that's when I realized pins are money. They don't represent money. They are money. I mean, if, if you take 25 bucks to bowl, three games, 150 pins, it's each of them represents whatever, 10 cents a pin. But when you're playing late on Sunday afternoon, every one of those pins is worth five bucks, baby. So, <laughs> um, Here's a stat, uh, Carrie, maybe someday down the road, would be the amount of wood that top qualifiers leave in a qualifying shift, right? Jeff harps on the pick your wood, second, third shots, right? Three, two. Yeah. How much wood is left for the top qualifiers from the last, I don't know if you can go through every game and each, each line item of, of that, but it's a lot of work, but well, if, I was gonna, if, if we're touching on coaching and I'll go back to it cause I've been rambling yep. on, but no, you're good. if I was going to give you guys some advice for your own personal games and practices, when you're playing by yourself, practicing and you punch a head pin, take your medicine, shoot your five. Don't press the button. When you miss the head pin in practice, don't get a re-rack to throw another strike because the head pin is still there. Shoot the spare. <laughs> what I'm saying? Yeah, when you're warming Stop up, don't just keep it. Button. Stop the button, going button. to the button. I want to throw strikes. I want to throw strikes. Yeah, yeah. What if you play at a center that automatically re-racks a whole set? Well, after one ball? Yep. In warm-up? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Her- Heritage well, says too. Cubica yeah. centers can do it. Steltronic centers can set it up that way too. <laughs> Well, then you can still take your medicine. You can throw whatever you like. <laughs> oh, man, I love in, it. In fact, one of the coaching games I use with my kids is the, uh, the, the format where everyone plays alternate frames. Like, you know, Scotch doubles? Scotch, well, the leadoff guy gets one, five, nine, that kind of thing. So you have a team game. And our team that uh, won or got a silver in 2009, they had, they, they had front nine one of those formats and that year when we got the bronze and in the silver in 2009 we were 10 and 4 and uh but the last game we played at the, the, the second day was saskatchewan and they beat us and then the saskatchewan went 7-0 the next day 
to get us for the gold. So that was Taylor McCaw was on that team. They had a really strong team. Um, and when we got our silver in 2016, my son Ryan was on the team. And it was the same sort of thing. We were doing all right, but then we had the two losses to finish the day, and the next day we had a loss. And so I put Ryan lead off. Uh, my son, he went uh, 310, 310, 358, and then 310. It was just awesome. And Saskatchewan was all over us in that last game we had to win. And Ryan struck uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. And their anchor bowler and their three-hole bowler both punched 9 and 10. So when Sam Gillardi went up, he needed a, a mark to win, and he got the strike. And then Northern Ontario stole a game off Quebec. Quebec let it get away. We ended up in a three-way tie-off for the silver, or playoff for the silver. And that's the only time ever in YBC I did all the chanting, all the singing. Because <laughs> the girls were finished, and they came over, and we had a bunch of fans, and we're doing all the, all the chants like this. And, you know, it was a lot of fun to make that much noise the roof the roof the roof is on fire like, yeah oh yeah for sure i'm getting pumped up just listening to you now. Yeah. Well, yeah it was yeah. it was a lot of fun for sure Good. and uh, uh yeah well on that note i mean how is youth bowling in winnipeg manitoba obviously you mentioned the gillardis a couple of times as a whole how does that how do you see it um you know obviously some good shooters some some people they're playing where, where are we at yeah, there's uh, there's some good shooters, but uh, ultimately it seems like the only bowlers that are coming up are descendants of existing bowlers. There doesn't seem to be the influx of youth that are just coming into try bowling. Um, I know that the last year I coached YBC, I uh, there was uh, it was down like thirty percent. There was a time where we needed to bowl seniors on Sunday afternoon because there were so many people bowling Saturday morning, and now we can all bowl. Then they made Saturday morning 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, but now it's all 9 o'clock, everybody, so it's just dwindling. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. And then and then with this, I don't – where are they going to go bowl? There's gonna, not going to be a neighborhood bowling alley necessarily. It's just frightening, frightening. Right. Mm-hmm. Making me shiver. Yeah. But there's but there's some good shooters, like you said, the you know, the Gillardis. and there's still oh, yeah. some vet, there's still tons of veterans out there too. I know that still have the fire and want to play. Scotty, of course, talk to him often, and you know, great great you know competitive side in Manitoba that a well, uh, lot lot still offered. I uh, I uh, a couple of years ago, and the the first year that the pandemic hit, uh, we made it to March, and uh, I had sixth choice, so I was third high average in the league. And, and nobody took Derek Horn yet. So I got Derek Horn on my team. So another one. by the time, uh, yeah, he, and he played great. He, uh, but when we broke in March, he was 266. I was 256. Um, the two hole guy on our team was 246 and he was six high average in the league. So we were killing people. We had a thousand and two team average. It was we were killing people and then of course we didn't get to finish the season so we didn't see how things fell out but uh he was playing awesome um but he's not a guy that i could coach very much he didn't really see my my game my point of view and uh he learned to his credit uh to, to sort of hang out away from me he didn't want to hear my nonsense so <laughs> that's fine and he's, he's he's got his own perspective on it i mean he, he doesn't really what you have have a conventional style that's for sure like if i'm talking about the idea of being square and walking straight i mean 
he starts like this, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the hardest throwing lefties I've ever seen, that's for sure. Well, and there's the funny thing, because uh, my son Ryan's also a lefty, and uh, he also gives it a, a mighty rip. And I, I'm just so sad for, for Ryan more than anything else. I mean, he, uh, as far as I know, Norm Shannis and Rob Shannis are the only father-son or mother-daughter combination that, that both won Canadian singles championships. So I was uh, I was betting on Ryan. Come on, Ryan. Go, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he, he when he was six, he, he already knew. What's DFS? Dead fucking straight. You want to be good, you walk straight. You want to be very good, you walk dead straight. You want to be great, you better walk dead fucking straight. DFS. <laughs> I like it. I'm going to publicize this document here. He was a good baseball pitcher too, and he understood when I would say, like, you're throwing too hard because when you're throwing your fastest, it's when your timing is right, not when you're throwing your hardest. So you got to, again, got to let the ball do the work, right? And that's another, that's one of my parallels thing. I'm going to, when I'm talking about coaching, I'm going to now segue into my alternate sport thing. In baseball, a pitcher gets one and one third inning for one reason, the hanging breaking ball. And in bowling, that is called a head pin. So you're better off to underthrow the ball than overthrow the ball. Because when you underthrow the, your slider, bouncing in the dirt, and the guy's waving at it because the ball's doing something for you. So, yeah, it, you're you're saying how it correlates against other sports and stuff like that. There's a a couple sports out there where smooth is fast, fast is smooth, right? So, if you can make sure everything's timed up properly and you're smooth. It's just as fast as if you try to reef it and throw it hard as you can. It's it, it's all the same, right? Well, I taped a little thing uh, on Golf Channel, which I'm going to keep forever, just before the Masters, and it was golf lessons from Masters champions. And the first one was Nicholas talking about how when he needed to reach back for that extra yardage on this drive, he'd swing slower, not faster. You just make sure you finish your backswing and make that arc as big as you can, not swing harder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Jeff, you are definitely the longest podcast for sure. Um, I know there's more stuff we want to hit on. I just wanted to clarify that you you made you made it. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, I haven't even talked. I think you're gonna have to have me back. Yeah, we, we want to have. We'll, we'll mark you down. Yeah. We'll get you let's, back. Um, yeah. let, let's go to get I these. As, I haven't dropped as many names as I want to drop at all. Let's do this though. Let's chat about some of these cool accolades, and then we'll do some more freestyling. Jeff um, is a lifetime member of the Manitoba Masters Association, awarded with the National Masters Association of Award of Excellence in 2014. Um, and then C5 named one of the top 100 bowlers from C5 in 2009. You know, pretty cool accomplishments to be able to, you know, have those uh, tied to your name. Uh, how do those make you feel? Well, when they were going to do that list, I, I wasn't playing C5, so I didn't see the list. And I didn't even know it existed until I had our first practice for the Masters. And um, Rob was trying to come up with the names of the guys in the list. And he didn't say me. And I thought, I guess I'm not in the list. But then I found out I was on the list. And uh, I was very excited. 
and I went off to the Masters Nationals, promptly threw a buck 80 in my second game, bleeding all over. I'm going, my God, am I cursed by this? And But our last game against Quebec, I had like 135 in the eighth, and I said, I'm going to the smallest ball, and I'm going to the right, and I got four strikes for us to win in the end. And I ended up averaging 265. And I'd like to think that my success since that time has proven that maybe it wasn't a bad idea to put me on the list. But as I said before, like Keith Barber was voted the greatest Western Canadian bowler of all time. He could be in the list. It seems like they missed like the seventies decade for bowlers. Um, the guys I grew up with, I mean, um, they, they were good with getting the old timers and, uh, and the only new guy really that was on the list was Matt Schultz, was the youngest guy I think that's mm-hmm. on the list. So Yeah, uh, I think you're right. I think the tough thing, obviously the time it came out was 2009. So you have the people 20-year window, likely, that were doing a lot of the voting, right? And those 20-year window definitely know about the old-timers, right? The original greats. But they maybe didn't know about those 70s, early 80s, like, like you said. Yeah. Right, they did probably get missed in, in, in many provinces. Right, there's well, probably another probably another fifty people you could easily put on that list. Right, well, you can do many, another list many, in another ten years and do it. And then how many yeah. Ontario guys and Alberta guys can you put on a list? Right, so yeah. right. you know those are the hotbeds of bowling. Um, I sort of got lucky to be put on the the excellence for Masters Nationals. I thought um, because we were hosting in 2014 and. There was a little bit of press we we're going to be doing locally, so I, I had to send my resume to Jim, and I sent it to you guys too. And you guys went, "Wow, that's a pretty good resume." And Jim sort of saw the same thing too, and went, "You know," and with the volunteerism, like I, I quit the Masters board only this year, due to the fact that there was no Masters. I mean, um, there it's it's tragic. It breaks my heart, but. Uh, I, I did over 20 years in there, and I was sort of a babysitter president the one year I was president. Uh, um, I was good at running a meeting, uh, uh, but not really the guy that should be president necessarily. Um, and that's wherever a past president comes in. I probably should have stayed as past president to help run the meetings because that's, that's an art form too, eh? And there's a little story I'm going to throw in, freestyling. So after in 98, when we went to the Nationals, uh, to, to KG, I should say. We go to the Calcutta. Jim and myself, Cam Boone, Doug Wood, have decided we're going to bid on the first wild card. We'll see what happens. And the Calcutta guy was making a point. He says, we're not going to be here for 10 hours. And we got the first Calcutta for like 350 bucks. It was ridiculous. Like, <laughs> oh, he, he was saying, you bid fast or you're, or you're not getting it. So who do you take? Oh, let's take Mortar. He wins both sides. So I sort of won two years in a row. <laughs> wow. For three fifty yeah. too, to get more of yeah. that. I never heard that one. It, it was it was it was pretty sweet. And it's funny because Tracy Ancestor with there was her baby and it's the finals around the middle of the house, thirteen and fourteen, and I'm way back in the corner, in behind like twenty one and twenty two, and Tracy's like breastfeeding her baby and I'm sort of standing here and has Mortars doing his pre shot routine. I'm doing it too. <sighs> Like, I'm, I'm trying to help him. I'm trying to help Bruce yeah. Hogan. Come on. There was one point where he wasn't throwing very well because we were watching him. So, Cam Boone, I dragged Cam Boone back into the uh, boiler room by the counter so he could have no influence on the, on the bowling at all. Like, stop watching. Stop watching. We're, we're, we're affecting it with our watching. <laughs> so, yeah, superstitious stuff again. Yeah. 
But actually, it's how, funny. It's, how did we get on this conversation? I thought we were talking about awards of excellence in C5. Yeah. And, I, I, and all of a sudden, you, free, you freestyle. <laughs> I freestyled again. Okay, yeah. so anyway, so, yeah. the, so for the Manitoba Life membership, I, yes. I felt that was more uh, more fair because, again, all the volunteer work that I did as well. Like I, I, I wore a lot of different hats. And my favorite job actually was secretary um, because... I'm old enough that I was secretary when you had to mail stuff out. So you had to go home and do the minutes right away. And when I was a secretary, you got the minutes within a week. So you could remember what happened. But a lot of secretaries we have would send it out to you like the day before the next meeting, like 28 days later, like, oh, look, there was some work I was supposed to do. I forgot about, you know, actions. But um, I was tournament director a lot too. And uh, I, I was lucky sometimes counting the money was uh, good luck. It would distract me from the bowling because I'd have to do something else. Because eh? that was what really was nerve-wracking because you got 52 people, all their entry fees, all their pot money, did it balance, you know, stacks of 20s everywhere. You sort of pretend it's yours for a while. Oh, look at all my money. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you're like, you're right, it keeps you busy, but until the point that it becomes annoying and I've done this for five years and I don't want to do it anymore, okay, it's your turn now. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh... huh. yep, I, nice. I, I totally Go get ahead. it, Jeff. I mean, we do it all the time with you know running the center or me running master tournaments or Tim running E five tournaments and whatnot. But especially during like you know cash tournaments or anything that's happening during the center. It, it doesn't it doesn't bother me at all to have to go to work or go run a tango or fix a machine while bowling at all because ultimately it almost makes me better and and I, I actually build in distractions into my game uh, I'm a very chatty person when I'm on the lanes and I'm always back talking to somebody and I'm trying to be distracted as much as I can I'll focus when I'm up on the lanes I'll, and I'll analyze everything after my shots and figure out you know what I did wrong or what I did right on that shot but when I'm back at the very back of the lanes I'm chatting with somebody I'm somewhere else until I get back up on the lanes and then refocus and go but um, having those distractions is I, I don't think is a, a bad thing at all um, if you're if your head is in into bowling for 100% of the time for you know 12 hours straight it's gonna be really hard to focus when you need to you know just energy wise like uh, keeping yourself busy after you get off the lane too. Yeah, I, I like doing the same thing. Go go for a walk, do, doing something different, right? You don't have to just sit there re ready to go on the shot, so. Well, that's the toughest thing when we did bowl this year. Um, it's no longer two teams on a pair of lanes having a match. You're on a, you're on separate pair of lanes. You're on a stopwatch. You got to get out so they can have the place empty for 15 minutes to sanitize. And you don't you can't go to the bar and have a drink and talk to somebody. And you know they got to bring you your drink. And I felt sort of like I was trapped in the pit in the in the new world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, sorry, Bobby Kite makes this comment, and I know he's saying this as a joke. Dexter analyzing 2.2 seconds. Um, you're not wrong, but also I believe the sweet spot for like analyzing is like five seconds max. After that, you you start losing that feel and that and and what happened throughout your approach. So um, that analyzing of your shot happens really quickly. You can't try to figure it out two minutes later. You know, it happens instantly and then it's gone. Yeah, I'm gonna go. 
Well, that becomes the embarrassing point when you might have had a beverage too many and uh, you did figure it out when you stepped off the lane, but now you're stepping back on the lane, you're going, wait a second. <laughs> what, what was I supposed to do? No. <laughs> so, yeah. so, sometimes having point, a, a, a beverage is better because you get relaxed. I always find that way better. <laughs> Jeff can agree, probably. Well, I, I had a well, that's the that's the blue show. We won't. Yeah, it's a blue show. I, yeah. I'll, I'll but, tell you what. But like, that I, was part of your game, though, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, and yeah, when I bowled in leagues, I, I habitually drank so that when I and I wore shorts in leagues, but when I bowled tournaments, I always wore pants in case I wanted to knee slide, and I wouldn't drink until I needed it as an adjustment. But if I if I didn't have a drink the whole tournament, I had a high score. You can always drink later, right? Kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, I remember one time at the Mattis Open going into starting game eight not so good and i'm going how can i get a drink right away oh there's eddie johns eddie i'll buy you a drink if you get me a drink he's elbow smashing guys moving them out of the way like jeff needs a drink right now kind of thing so <laughs> i chose the right guy yeah. 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 and then i sent him right back to get another one because the first one was going to disappear fast so yeah. <laughs> get it in there and loosen things up right yeah, yeah. I agree. yeah. Well, uh, again I, I got blue story blue story yeah. <laughs> um, Jeff, let's freestyle away. What about uh, you? You said you wanted to chat about a few people or some some of the mentors maybe you had throughout the way, well, or some some good stories. Go for it. I was always from the day I was. I rode in a car with Doug Wood, eh? and uh, no one was keener than Doug Wood, and uh, he wanted it bad. Um, but he said the best bowler I ever saw was Bruce Mortar. So first time I really saw him was in, I didn't really see him in the junior winter games because again, he was on a different floor, right? Uh, so 84, when I went to Calgary for the first time, when I made the final 16, I got to bowl him. Um, I had a 350, of course, because, you know, I was bowling, the king of bowling. Uh, a couple of games later, I had 350 for two games. You know how it goes, that tournament <laughs> is, is fast. Uh, not much time to think there. Um, but uh, circa 1990 1989 like, like i got a 255 league average like why can't i bring it in tournaments what's going on like what am i doing what can i steal and uh doug whalen a guy from the north he would really swing his back foot up hard every shot like kick himself in the butt like to really get across his weight across and mortar all his weight on his front foot and i decided i'm going to commit to my front foot I'm going to stop dragging my back foot like an anchor and I'm going to get across. And it was a TSN turning point. I, I did it from stealing. And it's something I've said to other bowlers since, like Chad Van Dale, same thing. He was really a guy that used to drag his foot. And his back foot is off the ground now for a little while, just just to get his weight in front, day. Eh? Because the thing is, if, if, if you're front... For me, I'm a lunger. Like myself, Tracy, uh, Tracy Smith, lungers, right? Um, really deep in the end so the ball doesn't have to have so much lift on it like when your weight's back you, behind your knee you need more lift to get it out in front like when you're really bent over then the ball can come out in front I mean Bruce was not a guy that threw a bunch of lift and uh, you know it, it took only a couple of years ago for me to watch and see why he was the greatest ever because his he Whatever he had to do, the fist was always right here. He could be spinning left, right, center, like anywhere, but his fist was always right on the head pin, right? Yeah. And, uh, it was one of the most amazing things. So I stole that 
I stole from watching. And that's something that, that Doug Wood told me. He said, you got to look at guys that have your ball speed. And the thing is, when I had my next big slump, um, circa 1999, after I won the, the TSN, or after I won the, yeah, after I won the TSN, no, before I won the TSN, that's when I developed my, my pre-shot routine I have now because I was playing with that position on my hand too much. Where's my thumb? Where's this? How's my wrist? How's my wrist? So I developed this pre-shot routine because by dropping the ball the way I drop it, I have a uniform grip strength and I have a, a wrist-neutral position and it's always the same. So I take that kind of thinking because I... I, I Lloyd Weens used to start like this with his hand on top of the ball. And I, I tried everything. One hand, I tried 9,000 different things across my years to steal. So it took a long time for me to come up with this. But this one was good because effectively what I developed was a waggle. I got a waggle in my, in my bowling game, right? <laughs> so I rehearsed my, my swing a couple of times and then just have to go back down the same path to let the ball naturally swing on. So and The Sergio Garcia... I, well, not 17. <laughs> Remember when he was young? Kevin, oh, the Kevin mic queer. The mic queer. I was laughing today because hey. a buddy of mine sent me an Instagram post of a guy. He's a he's a golf teacher and he's talking about in his Mexican voice. Hey, we're talking about the waggle. And it just, <laughs> and it just, it was all about the waggle. So yeah, perfect. Mike Weir should get a copyright for that because he was the first guy to have the big waggle. You know, the the real like pre. Now yeah. there's there's 25 guys. That have that waggle, and if you want to, and who's who's got a crazier one than Justin Rose? Justin Rose, I mean, Billy Horschel's got a crazy pre-shot routine now too. Like, yeah, I, I I can't I can't stand Kevin now. Like I can I can flip a channel and come back to him, and, and he'll still be hitting. So, yeah, but he gets after his putts. His putts, yeah. Tiger, Tiger's really good at that. <laughs> have you seen yourself when you start going deep into tournaments, Tim? Oh Jesus! It's a You'll nightmare. You'll stand up there for fifteen yes. minutes and shake your legs. Yes. I how about, how about Gino? About ten years ago, he'd lean back and he'd sort of shake his leg a bit. Yeah. I I, I could I, you I know. couldn't I couldn't imagine. With love, Gino. With he, he, love, Jump it out. He, he would jump yeah. it out. Yeah. And, and <laughs> imagine before doing? boxers. Imagine before yeah. boxers yeah. came out how that was, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to ask though, Jeff, and you did have some animation on the lanes and you would take a little bit of time. Did you ever feel that that worked to your advantage when you were playing opponents and did you intentionally use that to your advantage or was that more, no, I'm doing Jeff and this is what I'm doing and I'm playing my game. Do you know what I'm asking there? I do understand. And no, I, uh, I never played the game outside the game. It was always for me. Um, Again, like I said before, when I'm doing my, my two turns in a match play, there's no reaction on the right-hand lane, double reaction on the left. So, um, But I, I, I've run out shots for my whole life. That's why I'm fun, I'm fun to be on your team because like, by the time the, ball, the pit balls are in the pit, I'm already slapping your hands because I'm coming <laughs> off the lane at 100 miles an hour. You better catch me kind of thing. So, yeah. And I guess that's one thing I learned too and is that and, and, and sort of from going to Tom Patterson's bowling school, I went I went six times, and he, he preached, like, the finished position. But I went with the Greg Norman, Seve Ballesteros reflex, up and down. And I've been watching Jack Nicholas highlights. Same thing for Jack, up and down. Like, none of this 
holding your finish position. That That's not for me. I throw too hard. I go up and down. In fact, I took it to the fact where I bisect the lane, meaning like sometimes I'd sing Queen's song, Bicycle Race, in my head, because I want to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're getting into it now. I love it. <laughs> up, and, up and back. I go forward and back on the same line. Like, I, I, I don't turn around and come back to the pit facing you. I come back backwards because I want to make sure I never step to the right. Never, never, never. Because that's a death. That's, that's losing all your role. It's, it's to, to go like this, you, just, you have no lift. You have no lift. It's false lift. So if you can, I, I, I finish like this sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll, fall, I'll fall to the left. That's fine, but I will not fall to the right. Hmm. I never really for thought about that. Which way? Which <laughs> for our audio listeners, Jeff did just did a full approach and then went slow mo straight back and then did another full approach and fell off to the left. That's what happened while you guys weren't watching. <laughs> But which which way do you follow? When when you fall, I are fall you to the right. always to the right? Yeah. Well, you're not ever gonna do that again, now, are you? I, I also hang to the right, so I mean it's it's. <laughs> no, you don't. Okay, oh, that's, that's a lie. lie. <laughs> yeah. Everyone hangs to the left. Well, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to. I'll do that next time when I'm playing. And where are you losing your balance to? I don't think I've really thought about that as deeply, right? Well, it's it's false. It's false lift. If if you are moving while the ball's come out of your hand. So if, if you're not solid for that second, then if your shoulder's moving, your hand's moving, you don't have the leverage. Like it's a, it's a punching thing. Same thing, you gotta make sure that you're solid in your feet to deliver a punch. If you're moving while you're punching, you don't have any power in your punch. Hmm. Or, That's a or really cross good boarding. analogy. Yeah. That's an excellent analogy. Well, again, uh, here's another one for the ball in play sort of thing. Volleyball. Dig, set, spike, right? But what if you hit it in the net? Well, that's called a head pin. What if you hit it out of bounds? Well, that's called a head pin. That third ball's got to be in play because people get caught up trying to throw three strikes. No, throw it on the side. Throw it on the side. Nothing wrong with a corner on your strikes. Hmm. Hmm. I like it. Well, especially in, in in money tournaments. Like, what's the most mm -hmm. pressure you face when you go in a money tournament? The first time you have a double. You flew there. You went to the hotel. You had a meal. You checked in. You, put, you spent 375 bucks when you got there. First double. Oh, punch. Second double. Miss open. What happens in your third double? You got to change your shirt. You're sweating so hard. Yeah. Like, oh, my <laughs> God. Come on. I've got to do something here. You're trying to get the triple, right? Give me my first you're triple. trying to get the triple. Just, just get. See, bowling is about three in a row. But it's three marks in a row. It's not three strikes in a row. Two marks in a row opens about 210. Three marks in a row opens about 230. If you get four marks in a row and open, that's when you get into 250s. But, you know, if they're strikes, of course, your score is a little bit higher. But, you know, one of my favorite starts, makes me laugh my ass off, is miss spare, miss spare, strike, miss spare. One hit, 80 in the third. That's how bowling is a game. It's, it's not about. If you've thrown one ball and you got a five count, what's your success? It's the miss, because the other five count is that. 
He posted an L on his forehead for our audio listeners. <laughs> <laughs> any other uh, any other shout outs you want to watch out about? Uh, well, Karen Armstrong, of course. Um, she bought my shtick. Uh, she bought the shooting three twos in practice. Um, she believed in me enough to let her let me coach her uh, at the nationals for the masters a few times. Lots of provincial titles, um, uh, and of course, we became very good friends. Uh, it's actually one of the secrets. Uh, if you want to become very good friends with a woman, choose a woman whose name is the same as your wife's, so then you're not in trouble. Uh, so if you're married to, for the women out there, if if your if your name's Giselle, you got to make sure your friend your husband's not friends with anyone named Giselle. Um, but, uh, the one year actually Karen did miss the team in 2005 when my wife snuck her out for the mixed team. Holly Tchaikovsky asked me to coach her in the uh, provincials finals, and uh, I helped her win the uh, singles title in Thompson against Sandy Anderson. Um, I got to coach Shannis when he won in 2006. Um, a good moment in that was uh, he had a strike, he came, and then he punched a three-pin, he came back, and I said, are you singing to yourself? Well, no, sing to yourself. He sings to himself. And that's something I actually tell people too. If you're struggling, sing to yourself because that's going to put some rhythm in your soul, whether you like it or not, right? And help you relax. And then he threw a couple of good shots. And as he's walking back, Walter Heaney starts talking to him. So he starts talk, stops talking to Walter Heaney. And now he's uh, Rob's bowling, Jeff Stevens, right? From mm -hmm. Ontario. Yeah. Rob's walking back. I go, do you think Walter's cheering for you? don't talk to him anymore kind of thing well and 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 that's something else another one of my psychology things if i'm coaching on my team i don't want to see you slapping hands with the opponents like if we're bowling at you guys you could be the four guys in the alberta team i'll say good shot but that's as far as i'll go because again if i'm a baseball pitcher and you hit one 450 feet off me you think i'm giving you a high five at home plate i don't think so <laughs> oh nice dunk high five no, we're friends before, we're friends after. When we're playing, we're not friends. So, sorry if that's a little mean. But... <laughs> no, that's no, completely okay. fair. Yeah, you're yeah. not the first person to say that on here. Don't worry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right about the singing thing too. I mean, Bruce Bruce was notorious for it. Bruce did it his entire career. Made sure he had a song in his head and stayed with that rhythm. Tim tries to get the slowest song he could possibly, yeah, possibly think of. Yeah, I've had I've had the journey journey song before in there. We we've even it's John Smith and even our 2003 I think open team well, at provincials. John Smith played a song for me and Johnny on the way to the in the morning, and it was Eddie Rabbit or something like that. It was just this crazy song, and we would pump it up and sing it, and that was our song for the weekend, right? Yeah. And when you're bowling, you had a song in your head, and you kind of just the rhythm and get something mm -hmm. going, and, and you tune everything else out except for yourself and the song, right? Well, when we won in 2007, Shannis came straight from Vegas, and he was saying at the last night at the piano bar, somebody paid 150 for one song, but then somebody else paid 200 bucks for Don't Stop Believing by Journey, so that was our song. Of course. Um, a song I use a lot when I'm on teams because I stand in the back of the pit. Day, eh? I'm not taking the high fives anymore. I'm just more relaxed. But I got some Bob Marley. Don't worry about the thing. Every little thing gonna be all right. 
What so were just you... to make you smooth, just to calm you down. Mm-hmm. What were you singing in the uh, Winnipeg airport there? I did uh, Leave On by uh, Elton John. It's one of my favorite songs. I unfortunately uh, couldn't take it all the way home, but the first verse was pretty good. It I missed good. the chorus. It was good, yeah. yeah. Until we, we all had to go home. I remember. Um, <laughs> well, you know, and what's funny is that we got the bronze and you got the silver, and we got no sleep. The team that got to drive there, Ontario, they won because they had gas in the tank. Because for me, I didn't sleep good the night before. And then I had to drive my kid the next day, and we had to be at the airport at four, so I didn't sleep that night. So I'm way behind in my sleep bank by the time we get to bowling. And then the, the conditions are about as difficult as it could be. And, uh, it was a very challenging event, for sure. Yeah. And then my wife came, which is fine. I love her and all, but <laughs> what are you doing here? Oh, yeah, my son made it. Yeah, that's why. You care to watch your eye But, I mean, for, here at home, we have we had a king-side bed and we got married, but we'd wake each other up by moving around. So what we have now is two twins pushed together. So you yeah. can move around as much as you want. It doesn't bother the other person. But there we had a king-size bed. So I was waking her up. She was waking me up. So I was... Uh, I was very bagged by the end of that event, that's for sure. Yeah. But what a beautiful facility for the banquet, eh? Like in that casino, wasn't it just awesome? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't game. very enthusiastic, Tim. I, well, yeah. he, wasn't a bad, he was in a bad mood. I, I, I think Jeff and I, I still had some beer. Yeah. Jeff and I were drinking beers outside, I think. I, I missed some of the banquet. <laughs> I, I, gave, uh, I, gave, I gave Tim a good pep talk, actually. You did. Uh, honestly, and I, and I say it today, honestly, Jeff, um, it meant the world to me, so I. I well, it's nice yeah. to see you today. Yeah, uh, Jeff, we've asked this before. What was your favorite place to go for a national championship across the country? Well, you know, I guess I got to say Sherwood Lanes. I went there for my first Masters Nationals. I went there for my first C five Nationals. I coached my kid there first time in two thousand fourteen. It was an unbelievable facility. Like when when we were there with the uh, with the Youth Challenge. They had the kitchen open downstairs and they could feed you and when we were there in 86 they still had pool tables downstairs um what a neat facility if 48 lanes but it was like four sets of 12 lanes that were all different it's the same building and it's like four different sets of bowling alleys it was it was unbelievable um and then and then in 2008 and 2015 when we stayed in that same hotel Real nice hotel, free happy hour for everybody between five and six. Just if you're a guest in the hotel, nice rooms. Um, so that's got to be one of my favorites. But I, I actually came back to Masters in 2001 specifically because the Nationals were a KG. And I just could not pass up that opportunity. And again, we had another crazy field there. Uh, Bobby Herman, Lynn Howell, Tom Patterson, myself, Jeff Stevens, um, Bobby Osborne, uh, Bruno Cecere, like it was just top notch. Um, yeah, that was a, a lot of fun. Surprising you didn't say somewhere like Newfoundland, or that's been a, a big favorite. Yeah. But the thing is, when you go to a Nationals, all you really see is bowling alleys and bars. So, you know, George Street is nice, but uh, it's. I don't know that it's as nice as everyone says, you know, kind of thing. So, but I must say actually that the hotel we stayed in there was awesome. I was lucky enough to be on the club floor the last time. And so I, I ended up fourth in singles. I I had to beat Schultz last game and 
he decided to throw an eight bagger at me. So that didn't happen. So I stayed up and I saw the sun in the club room through this big window coming up through the bay. So I'm going to give you the Newfoundland point there. Good call. For a thousand. Yeah. I've been, I've been across the country. I, I, I've put my foot in both oceans from bowling. I, I, it owes me nothing. I'm, I'm a blessed guy. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what's cool. I was telling some other people today that, you know, what you're, you're into five pin bowling says, yeah, that's how I know people across the country. You know, it's junior hockey or it's five pin bowling alleys, right? And you start playing the game. Oh, do you five, you always throw out the five pin bowling to see if somebody bites. Right? Yeah. Hey, you, you get, you get excited <laughs> if they know somebody from bowling. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> totally. right? Yeah. When people mock me, I just, I, I used to take offense and try to defend it, but I just let it go. And, you know, it's if they're not gonna understand, so why bother? No, we yeah. we all know exactly what we have gained from this game, which is yeah. why we're all here trying to do this thing. Exactly, you know? documenting it. Um, bucket list, Jeff. What's left? I mean, obviously, you know, Masters to get your twenty fifth. Um, but what's uh, what? What else would you like to accomplish left to do? Well, I I, I guess it's watch my kid win a singles title and be his coach for it. I guess would be about it. But uh, I honestly don't know what else I could accomplish. I mean, I suppose if we went to Calgary again, maybe to win Calgary. I suppose I don't know that I could play up up this. See, it, it's the funny thing. Um, like when I won Saskatoon, I played 36 games. I played 30 games when I lost in the final to Sandy Anderson, and that becomes prohibitive, you know. But when you win your first match, you can't throw your second match, so you're only alive on one side. Like you got to bowl as well as you can. So, um, my biggest fear is that my edge was my practice. I mean, except for breaking a bone on my wrist because I side throw Bob stepped on a rake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I threw I threw like for 25 straight years all summer so I won I won the first tournament of the year of Masters eight or ten times because you know it was first weekend in September but for me it was I was ready to go and other people are finding their game because they took the summer off right so and I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to that level again uh, it, I, you just can't you just can't it's 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 sort of heartbreaking. It'll be honest. interesting to see this year once bowling centers are open, how many guys go out and practice. Right, we haven't played for a long year. You got the tour coming up this year. You're gonna want to start playing right away. Hopefully, all the events are happening. Are guys gonna come and practice this summer more than they do normally? I hope they do. Right. I I don't I don't honestly don't think so. I think once leagues get started, I think you'll see more practice then. Right? Well, then it's an advantage to those that are practicing. Right. We Dash and I should be practicing all the time. Yeah. <laughs> we don't. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know I know Chad Van Dale, the proprietor of uh, Dakota, has been playing 18, 21 games a week, and he's never played better in his life right now. And he just laughs because there's no place to use it. Mm. You know. But it will. It soon enough. Yeah. Right. It will soon enough. Out. In September, it will. League will get started. Tournaments will start happening. Come play the tour. Right. Maybe Jeff, you need to come out to Edmonton for one of the TPC events and see see the five pin you guys. Well, I, I can't promise anything. If there's one thing, I, I've never, I, I don't promise anybody anything ever. I never promise my kids anything. That's a word I don't use because it's a word that just gets you in trouble. You know? <laughs> yeah, very fair. Yeah. What about uh, the Manitoba Open? 
Well, if that existed, I would play, of course. I mean, uh, they they had some interesting format scheduled um, that involved the top 20 going on till Sunday and then extra games to choose the other 12. But and I don't know that if the format they proposed, if I wasn't in the top 20, I would play the rest of the games to be in the next 12. But uh, I would always support the local tur- tournament. Yeah. Always. Because, again, I don't have the... Uh, the travel costs and uh i can always put my arm in a sling if it's that bad i have before <laughs> yeah <laughs> well fair enough well we are gonna hit that three hour mark i think we should maybe wrap this up um Good jeff job. this was amazing um yeah. as everybody called it you were definitely the longest podcast and you uh <laughs> fulfilled everybody's <laughs> Uh, predictions um but obviously um as this podcast goes on hopefully for a lot longer we'll definitely have you on again and uh fill our brains with more information as db needs another sheet of paper (laughs) i'll uh i'll send i'll send you guys some stuff that i have okay you guys can uh see because i got i've kept stats for my leagues for a long time so uh, uh maybe find some tasty stuff for you guys to look at I think Perfect. what's the coolest yeah. is to dissecting the different types of stats or different, you know, people in here. What are they doing for their game, right? And obviously, it's been a great honor to chat with you here today, Jeff, to, to get a page of notes. I mean, I can <laughs> a lot of a lot of cool stuff here, and obviously a great resume that you've had. So good on you. Thanks for doing this. And thank you for having me. I appreciate. We look it. forward to oh, seeing you. you. Seeing you again. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate, it, buddy. Yeah, so Wonderful. for sure, Jeff, um, you're more than welcome to stay on for a little bit longer. We'll just put you in the back room. We'll wrap this up, and we'll do our draw. Awesome. Thanks again, and, man. And, well, so then we'll be off the air? Yeah, yeah so, after, after. And then you'll you still be here? Yeah. We'll try, yeah. Well, because then we can, I can tell you some blue stories. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. We love it. <laughs> Let me get a drink. Let me get a drink. <laughs> well, that was awesome. I, that was really good. Um. Just his brain, uh, the way his brain works and figuring that stuff out. I don't know if it has a lot to do with his psychology degree or stuff like that, but um, he has definitely some insights that even I haven't heard of before. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but uh, like constantly super positive guy, you know, and, and that's that's so big. I, I imagine he would be an absolutely phenomenal teammate. Yeah, I I don't know a three hour podcast. I th- I thought we were stretching with two, um, but the three yeah. hours, three hours definitely went pretty yeah. smooth. Uh, and then we could have had then some. Um, I know some people <laughs> were asking for an intermission, and and I follow the people that are watching. We never lost uh, viewers, and that was incredible. Like it yeah. was, um, so kudos to to Jeff and kudos to you guys for kicking in and staying in for those three hours because I didn't think. My bladder wasn't waiting. I don't know about you guys, but yeah. <laughs> I made it. I made it. I might have a secret. I might have a secret, but I made it. <laughs> yeah. you know, when we started, when we started this podcast, it was like an hour, or it was forty-five minutes. To forty-five, an hour. yeah. And then we had people telling us that we had to cap it off at like twenty minutes to half an hour because that is the optimal podcast length. Well. Not, <laughs> I think not we just gave minutes. all those people in the middle. We of the cr- we crushed yeah. that. <laughs> 
Nah, that was cool. <laughs> it's great to talk to him. And like I said before, to really get into the mindset of some of these guys. I mean, you, you've known them for 20 years, but do you really spend the time to dissect what they're yeah. what they're thinking on the lanes? No, you're because you're competing and you're playing against each other. And then you're out the bar and you're having fun. You're not talking about bowling at that point. You're now having fun. So it's pretty cool, right, to, to, to go through some of these yeah, for sure. Which I guess. Yeah. Um, so you guys who haven't put hashtag All Star Draw, it might be your last couple minutes to do it. So get it in the in the comments if you want to be a part of it. We have twenty nine entries so far. Um, Tim, who's uh, well, I guess let's well, not talk about one hundred. Let's talk about the ones after that, since okay. you already well, started scheduling those. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, well, we can touch base. We all we did mention the hundreds next week. So uh, who knows, maybe it'd be longer than two hours. I guess we can schedule that longer. But um, we have six uh, special guests coming on. We won't tell you who they are. So make sure you guys stay tuned on that. Uh, we have prize giveaways. I did confirm that from our video after I said it. So we do have prize, prize giveaways. Um, make sure you guys do your mean tweets. Obviously, we want to get some really good ones in there. Make us laugh. We haven't read them. Um, so... Take a, take a chance and take a look at that. Now, um, 101 is going to be Guillaume Charbonneau from Quebec. Really excited to have Guillaume on. Um, he's actually a really good personality. He has, uh, he's part of, he's volunteered a lot out there uh, with associations. He's a pro wrestler. He does, uh, I believe he's a sports announcer or he does sports radio talk as well. So I think that would be really great to have on. And 102 is, uh, Bev Gilliuk from Red Deer. So Bev is super excited to have Bev on there. So we got um, pretty good with all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Bev is uh, one of my all-time favorites, uh, being from Central Alberta, and um, she's going to be great to talk to. Um, for people that didn't know, Greg Gigluck was on as an earlier guest in our podcast. So you'll have to go back in the archives. Um, he was amazing, and I can't imagine Bev's going to be any... any uh, less entertaining than Greg was. so. Absolutely. And of course, Bev's maiden name was Bev Meyer, who a lot of the success in bowling had, had under that name, right? Yeah. Obviously, before she got married. so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, got a good lineup. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's coming together. It's going to be fun next week. It's going to be fun the next couple of weeks, and we're going to keep, keep the show rolling through the summer. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. All right, let's get this draw going here. So we have 40 entries. And I do believe this thing will randomize it. Uh, it's our first time using it, so don't shoot us if it doesn't work properly. But here goes the draw. Oh. Oh, look at the graphics. Wow. It's so <laughs> fancy. How many times are we oh, randomizing slow, it? No, it's it's just down. once. It's just down. once. Rolling Roland flag. There you go. All right. We'll yeah. get in contact with you. We'll send you a message on Facebook, since that's where you commented, um, to get your information that would pass on to All-Star Bowling Sales. He seems excited. Dude, Roland. Do we know Roland? Where's <laughs> Roland from? He's from Winnipeg. Okay, good that's stuff. Awesome. There you go. Yeah, that's, Roland's that's from great. Winnipeg. Yeah. Love it. Cool. All right. So, great episode, guys. And uh, we'll see you for number 100. Yes. Share yes. it. Like it. Do all the fun things. Me Do too. your Thanks, mean everybody. tweets. Yeah. <laughs>